With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, it is always a pleasure. Uh, we are convened, you know, dearly beloved. You, you can make uh, all the Prince references you would like, except for... Uh, it's really uh, a day for all well, Make all the Prince references you want, but it's really a Little Richard kind of a day. <laughs> Very true. Is this me? Who's, who's I'm here. Oh, hey, take number two. Um, so, gentlemen, uh, once again, it is always a pleasure. I thank you guys for your time, your talents, and your attention. As every single part of our lives has been touched, altered, and changed by the events and the challenges that COVID-19 has brought to us, and earlier today I had a chance to talk to to Zach San Martino, who is a tremendous young man, um, and of course a super impressive prospect. Uh, for those who haven't watched him, watch the Penn game. That game this past year against Penn, it's it's a bad game for that young man playing defensive tackle for Penn, but a great game for Zach San Martino. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, that poor kid. I mean, sheesh. I mean, at one point, I said you talk trash, and Zach said, not much, but I think at some point in that game, I said, sucks for you. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty, pretty accurate. That's succinct. Uh, that's, that's offensive lineman trash. Not a lot of whooping, not a lot of holler, but just very succinct, accurate stuff. But for Zach San Martino, for Lamont McFadder, for Kenji Bahar, for Aaron Winchester, for a list a list. Um, did Pete Guerrero land somewhere? Not, not yet. I haven't I heard think. his name. I didn't think so. Okay, so I, I wasn't sure I wasn't going crazy. Right? Once again, I, that's a guy who probably should have been invited to the combine. Now, I understand not so many FCS underclassmen get invited to the combine, but I think he would have put on a show, and I think he would have come out of the, come out of the combine with a huge amount of buzz and would have probably even been drafted. But that's the point I'm making is that a lot of players who, whether they would have been drafted or not, would have at least been definitely brought in as undrafted free agents and have contracts and teams and, you know, workouts being sent to them and tablets being mailed to them and whatever else teams are still able to do, and I guess Zoom calls. But a lot of these young men who normally would be set up with some sort of situation are now in limbo. I mean, even if you're, even if you had been drafted, it's kind of a weird situation because it's not going to be any rookie mini camps and OTAs and all that stuff. 
But if you haven't been drafted and you're unsigned and there's still ongoing negotiations and, and discussions, uh, I'll stick once again with Zach because I just got finished doing it earlier today. Eleven teams have, have shown some sort of interest. Like there have been conversations between his representation on 11 different teams, but nobody has actually offered a contract. I, I, I'm not sure why, to be perfectly honest. But, uh, but once again, I'm not going to blame everything on COVID-19, but I have to believe that the, the trend that had been going in one direction of, you know, guys who were playing non-FBS football, at least getting an opportunity, and, and of course a good number, a decent number getting drafted, but I think this is the lowest in over 10 years. Is that correct, Will? Yeah, I think I, would actually, I think it might even be closer to the lowest in 20 years. Wow. Jeez. Well, that's worse. Okay. I knew it was the lowest in 10, but 20 is even, I mean, that's disturbing. And once again, like, I'm, a, I'm going to go ahead and chalk much, if not all of that, up to what's going on with COVID-19, the lack of ability to work players out and, and travel as much. Um, so that, that's the thing, Bill. They can't, they can't try they, you know, Not only can they not do tryouts, which were a, lot of, a path yep. for a lot of players to at least get that one last look, uh, but they can't even really do workouts. So they can't even bring a guy right. in and, and say, well, you know, let's just run you through your paces and put up a chalkboard, whatever it is we need to do. It's almost impossible for them to do even that stuff. And I, my fear is it gets worse because if they get into the season, maybe then they can have some tryouts, you know, or workout days or whatever on off days. But my, my guess is that they're sort of going to get skipped over. And by the time you get into next year, then there'll be another crop of, you know, undrafted free agents and tryout players. And yeah. So – it's not going to get any easier for them. The quicksand will build. Yep. Jeez. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, well, delightful. Um, the other thing I'm going to, to sort of toss out there or in there or whatever, when we think about all of the um, – when we think about all of the – you mentioned uh, tryouts, right? Uh, just to throw out a few names, uh, Night Train Lane, Eric Swan, Kurt Warner, Adam Thielen, those are tryout guys. They weren't even, you know, they didn't have a contract. They showed up and, and had to show somebody something. So yeah. I'm not saying you, you were going to find one of those. You know, that'd be cool, though, if you could. But you were going to find guys who were going to at least a few guys. Even if it was a small number, a few guys were going to make teams in practice squads, you know, via that route. And, right, that's not going to happen. So there's all these – what concerns me, or one amongst the things that concerns me, is uh, if somehow there's no um, – I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? If teams say to themselves, hey, you know, we dealt with this okay, we found what we needed without doing all the stuff we did, I wonder if some people will be emboldened to trim back the amount of time they spend on small school guys, which is already lower than it's <laughs> obviously on, on, on jobs. I mean, right? I mean, just, I mean some teams, I'm not going to name any names, but some teams will trim back like more than nothing out on anyone who's not in a power. Yeah. But, but it was. 
How much more can you trim back? Because obviously these guys don't look at the small school guys during the season. And and I think that's part of the problem. Uh, There's no way you can wait until you get to after the season to start looking at the small school guys. Your scouts have to look at the small school guys like they have to look at the big school guys. The big school guys, you're going to see their film anyway. So I don't understand why we spend so much energy on seeing the Power Five guys every week when you have so many of these colleges out there. That's what the that's what we're supposed to hit the road for. I don't get this not putting the energy and the work in until after the draft on the guys that aren't at the FBS level. It is it's lazy scouting. You know what? Unless there's unless somebody was a higher recruit coming out that somehow ended up at a smaller school or transferred there. But there are so many guys, you know, that because whether they don't develop till later in high school and they they end up at a small school, or they just come from a small high school where they realistically there aren't a lot of prospects out of, so they don't get graded very well because high school grading is 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 another mess in itself, but. You know, yeah. there are plenty of guys that that don't get that four five star rating, that blue chip rating. You know, they you know they have two and three stars that nobody bothers to chase after if you're the big schools, and some of the FCS schools don't bother to chase after. So you end up at a D two, you end up at a D three, you end up at an NAIA because these kids are going to take the first offer they get or the first team that looks at them because they're not getting offers and letters, and they wind up being a better player than. You give them credit for it, but you're not going to put the work in because, honestly, you're looking at the level of competition going, oh, yeah, well, you know, it's FCS. We would have heard about him if he was really any good. No, it's called doing the legwork. The point is, yep. you may go there and say, hey, you know what? I didn't know who this kid was before today, but he gives me a reason to want to look more at his film. Maybe at the end of the day, you go, you know what? I saw a couple of games of his. He's okay. He's not pro level. He's a good player. Okay. And then you move on. But at least investigate. We're not even investigating anymore. And I was just becoming, okay, uh, who, you heard about some small school guy? Okay, let me, let me see a couple of games of his after the season. Is he at an all-star game? Is he worth going back and looking at? Okay, great. Then we'll go back and do it. And it is, it is so reactive as opposed to being proactive, you know, as opposed to the, the big school guys are always going to be in your face. What's the purpose of chasing that down? It's there. You know, you, you already know the coaches. It's 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 the lazy way it's the lazy way out, and, and this whole draft at the back end of it was the lazy way out. And we saw oh, it. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and, and it was okay. Well, take 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 the take the the tenth guy on the defense of Georgia, and it will sign the guys after the draft. You know, that are that are small school guys or fringe players, and we'll give them a shot that way. But we're not going to call their name because you know they're not from Georgia. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it really does. Well, hey, I, I look at it this. I look at it this way. Last year, after the XFL folded, uh, how many mm-hmm. XFL players signed with the NFL? A lot, right? Yeah. And yep. yeah. The, the, now we have a situation where there is no AAF, there is no XFL. There's, there's mm-hmm. nobody to show off uh, their skills at a minor league level. So nope. it's you know this, this kid's like, what are they going to do? They're going to go to Canada. Like not really, not that many of them have the opportunity even to do that. Yeah, and and, it's and a really and terrible if, situation. Yeah, and if the, and, and heaven the forbid, CFL itself is, you know, I mean, the CFL will survive, but they're yeah. they're essentially. And we talked about this once before. That 
they're essentially dependent upon a, a government loan to continue operation. Yeah. 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 You know, and heaven forbid if these kids say, you know what, well, I want to keep putting film out there so they play overseas or they play minor, semi-pro right. minor league here, they're not even going to look at that film. So <laughs> it, it, it's it's a joke. You, it's become a real joke. I mean, like we, we really need a, we need an outlet for – I mean, because here's the thing. You, you said they can look at someone's game tape for a couple of games. I mean, you look at an NAIA film or Division three film, it's hard to tell anyway if you if a guy can really yeah. play or not. So, yeah, so right. but the ultimate, but the ultimately, if you get that guy into your to a mini camp or a tryout, at least you've got a chance to see him compete against some guys you know are better, and give him a chance to either you know fail or show you something in that short tryout. But without that existing mm-hmm. and without minor league existing, there's there's nowhere to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It should be somebody should put I mean, together I, a minor league. Like, how about someone who has a lot of experience, understands football really well. And has more or less unlimited resources. Um, oh wait, the, that's the NFL. <laughs> yeah, but the the, pro, the, problem, the the problem with the NFL is if it doesn't make dollars, it doesn't make sense to them. And that's why NFL sure. Europe died. That's why all of the all of the minor leagues that they had died because once it doesn't make dollar, they want to kill it. And that's not how it's about. Your minor league should be about developing the talent. So you're not just relying on the draft and free agency to help build your team. And they refuse to do it because at the end of the day, they want to make money off everything. They've gone super greed over productivity. And it, it's kind of killing them in a way because now you have, yeah, you're going to have all these guys in your camp when you eventually get to camp. But let's be realistic. Now, how many of those fifth, sixth, and seventh round guys are actually going to make it now? Because some of those guys were just guys they were just taking just to take. Yeah, to fill out your ninety. Yeah, you know, it's like yeah, it doesn't make any sense. You, you, you well, the guy, the, we shorten the we shorten the draft from fourteen rounds to ten to seven because oh, those other rounds didn't matter. Now you have it at seven, and now you're trying to say seven doesn't matter. It doesn't make any sense anymore. <laughs> it, it, you know, it, I mean, it, it's really becoming comical. Although I, I heard the suggestion, or go ahead, Bill. No, 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 no. Go ahead. I, my thought just, was just quickly. Yeah. Uh, well, just just quickly, one potential solution that I can think of that is actually pretty doable uh, is to add, say, ten roster spots uh, for for every team, especially especially until they hit. Uh, the first week of the season, and the cut, you know, the one cut down date they're going to have, and then increasing, um, you know, practice squads or or have some kind of squads of control, so they could have some more players to be able to at least look at for a minute. Whatever time frame there is, maybe there isn't very much camp, or there isn't very much preseason, or there isn't very much practice, whatever. But it just feels like at least then you you know they could get a guy eventually in the building for a week or two and have an opportunity to assess them then. But maybe that's what they're going to do anyway, more or less, is rotate out the bottom of the roster guys uh, once they get an opportunity to see them in person. Right. And and my father and I, years ago, sort of joked about their following baseball lead. And baseball doesn't have nearly the kind of attrition during its season, even with the long season, that football has. But, you know, allowing essentially call-ups, right, after week yeah. 12 or whatever, Hey, you could add five more guys or whatever to your active. Because think of how many teams would be different if they weren't 
down to their last offensive lineman, like their last. Um, mm-hmm. We've seen teams where that they're, they're by the end of the season, that's it. Like they're used all their offensive linemen. Like if anyone else yeah. hurt, we're we're going to ask like a tight end to play tackle or something. I mean, I don't know what the plan is in some cases, but we've seen teams where they just got lucky that in week 17 or 16, their last offensive lineman didn't get hurt because I don't know what they would have done. But we've seen that where teams are out, out at a position. Um, the Eagles a few years ago used, I think at one point they had 11 different combinations in their secondary, if memory serves it correctly. Yeah. Kind yeah. <laughs> of a record, but it's amazing. And Monte Maddox, whose original plan was him to be like a reserve and a special teamer, ended up starting, I think he started 13 games at three different positions. Um, It was sort of a a quiet sort of semi-MVP of the defense because he played slot. He played corner and free safety. Started. Not just played, started games as a rookie. Yeah. Well, Duck, this guy, Duck Hodges, started seven games with a tryout player. Speaking of tryout players, there's a guy that wouldn't right. even be on your roster. Like, I wonder what, you know, they might have done. Uh, resurrected Paxton Lynch, I guess. Oh! <laughs> oh! When did, Got like, fired. Was, was like the, remember the hockey situation where they had to pull the 42-year-old guy out of the stands or whatever? It's almost like that with some situations oh, that's where... That's the best. That's the best thing where they have this like practice goalie comes in the game. That's the best. Every sport. Yeah, it is the best. So maybe Paxton Lynch should be available to L32 teams in case of like a dire emergency. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Everybody give me so a little pot of money to keep Paxton Lynch around. Um, <laughs> we, we, we could do a whole show on why the NFL needs a, uh, a, a developmental league, and then we could do an entire show about why they won't do it. Um, and, and, of course, Jeff said the simplest and easiest thing because it would cost money, and why would they spend this money when college has been doing it for them for free for the last exactly. years? But you just hit, you hit, you, you hit on the prescient point. What if college doesn't play? I mean, to me, college is way more at risk right now to play uh, because yes. they, you know, they're not professional and you're asking them to risk their health and the life and their life of their families to, to go and play. That's a pretty tough sell for a university, I think. So, so A, there's that. And B, if you could make the minor league happen right now in some other country where they could play, then you, know, you could make money from it because there's an audience there who's right. desperate. Oh, my God. We would, I don't care if it was in Finland. I don't care if it was wherever it was. I would watch it like it was my job, Will. Uh, if you could yeah. tell me that there was actual football being played, I would watch it so hard. Yeah, but this is uh, the AAF and the, and the XFL. You know, I watched it as if it were the you know, most important thing ever, but that's me. So maybe that isn't everybody, but, you know, there's, there's money to be made there. I, 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 it's just... You know, it's, 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 not in their, it's not in it's not their kind of money. That's the problem, you know, and once again, yeah. to me, to me, to me, that's an investment. It's not it's not a revenue maker. It should not be a revenue maker. It's an investment, an investment in your teams and your league's future. And just like the minor leagues with baseball, 
Yeah, there are teams right. there that are not really that solvent, but they're there for the investment of your teams and their future. And the, the NFL does not see that because all they see is gimme, gimme, gimme. This is not making money. Cut, cut, cut. Just like everybody else. Oh, what? He's not He's not producing uh, a 1,500 yard season. He's down to 11. Cut him. Save, save money on the cap now. Everything is cut now. You know, and, and it's it's that kind of short sightedness. It hasn't hurt him yet, but at some point it will. Will will this COVID nineteen um, year be the it year be that the finally? Point, right? Yeah, yeah, but it, it, this could be it. it, but it might not. It, somehow they may squeak by it, okay, and move on the next yeah. year. And you know, but. Yeah. At some point, it's going to catch up with them. At some point, it's going to be, well, you know, and I think they're kind of lucky that COVID-19 did hit because, honestly, that tipping point may have been the XFL because if had it yeah. not been impacted by COVID-19, he wouldn't have pulled the plug on it as fast as he did. And and if he did well, he, pull the plug on it, um, they could have went after college players sooner. Well, even now, it's you know, suspended. It may, it, I, I don't know if it's the XFL is 100% dead. That was, they had people in the stands. They, were, they, they had television contracts. Yeah. It's hard to believe. Yeah, it, 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 it's just the fact that they weren't able to finish their season this year. It take the, the massive yeah. loss because they couldn't finish their season is what hurt them the most. Not so much that they didn't, you know, they didn't have a lot of state. Certain stadiums were full. Certain stadiums weren't. I get that. But you know what? It wasn't about filling the stadium because they were just happy to fill the bottom part of the bowls. But it was overall, it was about the TV, as long as it looked good on TV, as long as viewership was up. And it was up the first quarter of the season before they started to have um, issues with COVID. You know, it, they were they were doing all right. But the fact that they weren't able to finish the season, that they took all the losses because they weren't able to finish the season, is what really did it for them, you know, because honestly, they, that was their plan. Yeah, we're going to sign all these guys now, and some of these guys will wind up leaving. We're fine. But I think that was their big thing. If we're going to mess with the NFL, we're going to get their guys right out of college. We're not going to say you got to wait three years. You can come to us after two. Yeah. And then right. all of a sudden, you're right. getting them before the NFL gets them. And then all of a sudden, the NFL goes, whoa, 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 whoa. What's going on here? We're crying foul. You know, and that's where I think that we're going to go with it. You know, yeah, yeah. Come to play with us after two years. You can play in the spring. And then maybe if the NFL wants you afterwards, then they can try and come deal with us after you you fulfill your contract with us. You know, but that was the the whole thing. The big test case was what, Kenny Robinson, right? The the former West Virginia safety was this really fascinating test test case because he – needed to find a place to play football, and clearly he and college football had not gotten along all that well for a variety yeah. of reasons. And so if that had sort of worked out, and it had worked out for all parties, right? They got this really talented player. He got to keep playing football and improve himself in the eyes of the NFL world and, you know, have coaches that they knew because they all, all the, you know, so many of the coaches who played and or coached in the NFL when they vouched for him and said, yeah, you know, he's just a kid who wasn't right for college, but he's right for football. Um, they were like, okay, yeah, we feel pretty good about this. The, it would have been very interesting to see how it would have played out. And, I mean, we, we talked about sort of the, the dollars and cents of it, but what's it worth to the Dodgers to have Clayton Kershaw become Clayton Kershaw in the month, you know, get developed? I mean, 
obviously he was really good in high school, but he wasn't ready immediately after stepping off of the campus at Highland Park High, you know, to start pitching against major leaguers. You know, and for, especially guys like Mike Piazza, right? I mean, guys who are really underdeveloped, but physically and mentally developed in the minors. You know, what's it what's it worth to you to to develop an yeah. Oral Hirschside? I mean, Oral Hirschside was what fifty fifth round draft pick or something. That's what he worth. Is that why he was yeah. something crazy? Like they were fifty five because of it. I mean, he's like, like this is a guy that you know he wasn't mowing people. He was getting people out, but he wasn't mowing them down the way that the guys who get drafted really. Like he wasn't this six six monster just blowing the ball past people. And so, precision pitchers in high school are usually underdrafted because people think, you know, can he keep getting away with it at the next level? And sometimes mm-hmm. for guys like Greg Maddox and Earl Hershiser, it works just fine uh, when they get to the next level. And I understand it's a, it's a, you know, it's a risk. But, I mean, Earl Hershiser could not have gone straight from high school to the, to the major leagues and been successful. Yeah. Right? See, this is, I mean, this, this is quarterback, yeah. Bill, if they if – they, you know, if they want to have more than 20 quarterbacks in the NFL who seem like they can actually play, then yes. the one thing that they need is to find guys who have tools or who show something at some level at some point and to, you know, weed them out better. I, I feel like that's the Arena League did that for them a little bit, and NFL yes. Europe did it a little bit, but they've never yes. really ever in the history of the NFL had that program that really developed, gave quarterbacks a chance to develop. And what they, what they should do um, I'm not going to say they should, but what I would think about doing is if I were going to do, a, a, you know, a, a Q League or whatever you call it, it would be, yes, it would be very quarterback-driven. And it would be sort of like what the AEF did to some extent where there was a special separate section of the evaluation and drafting process to find quarterbacks. And we would, I would divide the season in half where half the season will be good old American tackle football, and half of it will be, I don't know, flag, seven on seven. But I, I would want to get them as many reps with, with, with having to throw the football into certain situations, but reduce the amount of physical wear and tear. So I would have maybe, you know, we, the last part of the season could be until you get to the playoffs, and then I guess we put pads back on. But, yeah, why, why not have the last part of the season be, you know, I don't know, flag, two end touch, whatever. Um, now, obviously, that, that, that doesn't help you develop your offensive and defensive alignment. But which is where they, if, which is where they need it the most. I'm a, yeah, yeah. But that was, I guess yeah. for that, we do some different stuff. But, but if we're talking about tr- addressing what Will just said, how do we make it so that every team in the NFL has at least a viable quarterback, uh, which has not happened uh, in a long time, where you can say all the teams. And of course, the last time you can say everybody had a – solid quarter. It's probably before we had 32 teams. I mean, you probably have to go back to before the last couple of expansions to say every team has a quarterback. They might feel great about them. They feel good. They feel solid. Like, hey, we got an NFL quarterback. We're going to be all yeah. right. Um, it's close now. I think the has been pretty good the last couple of years. Well, here's the good news. The NFL has realized, we thought it was before, that rather than taking these guys from college and saying, okay, forget everything you knew because that stuff is college stuff. You can't do that because this is mm-hmm. real football. Forget all that. Learn this other stuff. Now they're saying, okay, don't forget all that. Hold on to a lot of that. We're going to teach some other stuff too, but we're going to integrate that with the stuff you know. And 
that's what's allowed guys like Deshaun Watson to to do what Deshaun Watson's done, what's allowed Pat Mahomes to do what Pat Mahomes has done, what Kyler Murray's probably about to do this year and did a little bit of last year. The reason that one of the reasons that well we you know, the pressure to to get these guys out there and get them to play, instead of saying, Okay, we're gonna empty your head out and then pour all this stuff in I mean, I've never understood why people thought that was a good idea in the first place. Like, let's get rid of everything you do before. Let's drop it all. Let's force, force it out of your head, and then we're going to fill it up with something new. I, I, some of it, I think, was just, I don't know, hubris? Is that the word I was looking for? Uh, to think that you, none of this stuff can work because that's college. Uh, um, and now we're seeing, oh, well, it does work. It's, we can hold on to a lot of these things. And so that allows the Carson Wentz's and Dak Prescott's and all these other guys to have early success. We we now are in a place where I think quarterback development probably varies from team to team as much, if not more, than it has in the history. Like for various teams, I think at one point all teams were not all teams, but most teams are probably pretty closely clumped together. With some teams being outliers being really good, and some teams being outliers being really bad, but most teams being sort of you know average, right? That's how it gets to be average. I think now there's a lot of variance as to how teams approach or even attempt to develop quarterbacks. And there's some great test cases. There's so many young starters in the league now, right? We're seeing a, almost an entire generational turnover of quarterbacks. There's a few, whole, you know, obviously holdovers like Brady, Breeze, Roethlisberger, Rodgers, uh, forgetting somebody. But all those guys are going to be gone soon. Rivers, thank you. But all those guys are going to be gone soon, right? Um, so all, all the starters are going to be – 30 and down pretty soon, right? I mean, the old guys are going to be guys like Teddy Hill and Carr in another couple of years, right? Um, you know, wow, you're, you're over 30? You know, I mean, we have a bunch of, of starting quarterbacks, some of whom won't be able to rent cars yet. So in order to make that work, we've seen, like I said, finally teams beginning to become more, more flexible. But these are, once again, the top, top, top tier guys. You know, so, I mean, Dak wasn't seen as that coming out, and I guess to a lesser extent, even Russell Wilson wasn't seen as that coming out. But most of the guys that we're talking about were guys that were seen as, I guess Carson Wentz also, but uh, coming out of, well, I mean, when he came out of college, he was seen as a top tier guy. But uh, they didn't have that big, thick high school binder on him like they have with some of the other guys. Now, Kyler was a legend, right? I mean, Kyler Murray was... You know, in a state where people, you know, talk still talk about guys that played in the 30s and 40s in hush tones, kind of where we talked about 50, 60, 75 years from now, maybe more, for what he did at Allen, Allen High School. But, you know, obviously he had to overcome a slightly different challenge in order to, to be embraced as a, as a top-tier quarterback. But my point I was making is that development, right? So when you have a guy who has talent but he's not ready, and of course Jordan Love is about to be a great example of how teams develop, if they can develop, guys like him. Uh, he's going to a situation that's probably about as good as he could go to, in that there is an established starter who still has another probably three, maybe more good years left in the tank. And whether or not he takes him under his wing or not, if you just watch, you should learn some things. Uh, so we'll learn a lot about that. But I was ask Will, how many teams do you really trust? Really, really trust to develop a raw quarterback. Like uh, when you think about the franchises in the league now, who do you think actually has a good process or a good understanding of how to do that? 
Uh, you know, maybe Holmgren. Is he, is he like attached somewhere anywhere now? Like, there's not too many. There's not too many guys with a track record, to be honest with you. Like, I feel I agree. like most of the quarterbacks that are great uh, in that are in the league right now have come out more or less the how you know they they're tweaked and maybe somebody helped them you know get better and so on and so forth. But they weren't. You know, there aren't that many guys who were just terrible when they came out and developed into a really great quarterback. Well, I mean, I'm mean, terrible, but, you know, kind of a mess. You know, like talented, but a lot of work to be done there. Well, this is what Jordan Love is. And you're right. There's, a, there's not that many. I was trying to think to myself. I asked myself the same question. We'll see what, we'll see what Kyle Shanahan's record turns out to be. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, Jim, Bruce Jim Harbaugh, Harbaugh, you know. Like Jim Harbaugh took a guy that, had a lot of yeah. talent and a lot of flaws and yeah. built an offense to make it work. Yeah. Or is it John? It's right. John Harbaugh. Sorry, I gave yeah. to the wrong guy. But, yeah. We, well, both, both Harbaugh's did. Because that's what one yeah. Harbaugh did with, did with Kaepernick. The other Harbaugh's now do with, with, uh, with Lamar. So both Harbaugh's yeah, right. showed they could do that. Um, yeah, I, I I don't. I think the biggest problem that you have with that. Were we, I couldn't hear you. What were you yes. saying? Yes, yes. Proceed. Yes, you 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 have a on Oh, oh, okay. No, I'm sorry. No, I'm I'm just saying that the biggest culprit in that is the patience of teams. They don't want to sit back and develop court. There's very few franchises in that process now that want to develop quarterbacks now. Everybody now wants to draft one early and make him the starter early. And if he doesn't proceed, then we move on with another guy. Nobody wants to take a guy in round three or four anymore and develop him for a couple of years behind a veteran and say, okay, now when we get towards year three or four, if we're ready to move on from the veteran, it's your job to win or lose. They're not doing that anymore. You know, and, and every once in a while, you get a team that does it. You see, Dak is, is in the place he's in because they were going to do that with him. And fortunately for him, Romo broke down sooner. But overall, I mean, look at that's what they were supposed to do with Josh Dobbs. Look, he, is he in Pittsburgh anymore? I mean, otherwise, hey, New England, no, we're going to do that with a couple of guys. They traded him off. You know, they, they luckily said, you know what, we're going to keep Stidham just in time for Tom Brady to go free agent. But over, otherwise, everybody else is in the find in the draft, find a free agent, find a draft, find a free agent. Nobody wants to sit there and do the work anymore. And and I, it, it's once again, it's that short sightedness that we talked about. Microwave popcorn your franchise, build it in the draft, build it through free agency. And if it doesn't work, blow it all up and start again. Yeah. Well, but you don't get too many chances to do that before you get fired. That's the but worse than that, the worst thing you can do is to get a guy who can't really be great at quarterback, who doesn't have that upside that you have to pay contract to, to because you feel like you, you don't want to just quit him. And, you know, so, mm-hmm. so you get stuck with this albatross in his fifth year or whatever, who's not developed and it doesn't really, maybe even looks like he's regressing and you have to pay him so much money that it, it will wreck your franchise for a decade. That to me is worse than giving up too soon on a quarterback, hanging on to one too long. <clears throat> Jared Goff, excuse me. But, you know, that's to me the worst thing you can do. Well, 
well, your franchise to mediocrity for years. I'm sorry. I thought you were trying. I thought you were hinting a lot about Trubisky at first, but the, <laughs> same same the, thing. Uh, yeah. It, it, here's here's what it really comes down to, right? We we were talking about, and, it's, and there's other positions we have to develop as well, but we're talking a lot about quarterbacks because everybody talks about quarterbacks. The the excuse used to be before they changed the salary structure was that you're paying them all this money. Well, you know, you're paying Stafford all this money. You're paying Cam all this money. You're paying Sam Bradford all this money. You got to play them, right? Because we're paying them all this money. Well, now, I mean, it's not cheap, but it's a much more doable thing to, I would think, to <laughs> to be more patient because you're not paying them, you know, those ludicrous contracts that, that you used to see guys get right away if they were a quarterback who was taken first overall, you know, in the pre-restructuring of the, the you know, rookie, uh, rookie deals, so that you, you know, I mean, everyone talks about that's what you want. You want to try to do this within the window that you have on your, your quarterback's rookie deal. Now, to me, that doesn't mean you should throw him out there, you know, <laughs> but it does mean you should plan to by the time he's ready, which is, you know, hopefully soon, but I mean, I want to keep bringing up Paxton Lynch, but right here, there's a guy that, it's funny because I was an earlier, I was an early adopter on Paxton Lynch, but not as a first rounder. Like, it got sort of weird for me because I was a big booster, like, hey, you should check it out. And then what happened was, he went from being a guy who I thought would be an interesting third round project to going to like you know, the second half of the first, and it's like, oh, oh, like it was kind of weird for me because I early had been like a strong supporter, and I was like, no, 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 don't like him that much. Like I felt weird after trying to get people to pay attention back. I was like, no, 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 that's too much attention. Like, oh, no, you don't do that. Um, circumstances matter for every player, but obviously most of all for quarterbacks. Uh, the coaching staff matters for every player, but obviously most of all for quarterbacks, and. Expectation really matters, right? Uh, everyone, every, everyone has a draft room story about how they were about to take Russell Wilson with their next pick. Like every team in the league says that now, right? And if the Eagles hadn't gotten them, we were definitely taking it with our next pick. Like every team seems to have that story. Uh, and he was a guy who didn't need that much. Like he had great footwork. He was physically well-developed. He played into very challenging systems from the, the standpoint of what a quarterback is doing mentally, running at T-State, and then the one year he spent at Wisconsin were amongst the more adjustment and thought-heavy for a quarterback. Like, it all sort of worked out perfectly. And then the Seahawks, even though they invested pretty heavily in Matt Flynn, were wise enough, brave enough, whatever you want to use, to say, okay, this kid we drafted in the third round is better. <laughs> the guy he thought might be a career backup is better than the guy who actually has been a career backup, who we overpaid. And they, as you said, well, to their credit, they did not tie themselves to it long. They didn't say, we gotta, we got to make this guy succeed because it will make us look smart. They said, let's win football games and it will make us look smart, as opposed to, we got to back this guy we paid this money to. The, the issue I have now, let, I, let me expand it, not beyond quarterbacks, is that when a, when a small school kid comes out, and I understand it, like all the boxes have to be checked. You have to have produced. You have to have been, you know, a multi-year starter. 
and you need to test probably like an absolute freak, like off the charts, like Kyle Duggar, mm -hmm. right? Like a ten. Right now we can embrace you as a small school prospect. You produced like a maniac. You were a multi-year starter. But in the case there, those two guys, like multi-year All-American at the at their level, and produced, like uh, jumped out of the gym, ran fast, lifted, everything, all, all the boxes of check. So we can embrace you. We can take you in the second. We can take you in the third. We can take you, you know, we can take you in the first half of that. And as was mentioned earlier by uh, another Steve member of the panel, Jeff, Jeff Barnes, we saw, particularly in this draft, that once you got about halfway to the fifth, it was all, well, who else at least had a couple of good plays in the SEC? And heavy, and you know, and sometimes, you know, Pac-12 and Big Ten, too, but there was a very heavy leaning on, you know, safe, and you know, scared, whatever term you want to use. The issue going forward, like I said, this is my great fear, is that if this doesn't, now should, this probably will blow up in some people's faces, but if it doesn't, that's my fear. If it works out, that some of these guys, you know, they become starters, they become the contributors, they just kind of picked up, you know, because they noticed him, and, you know, or a coach vouched for them, or whatever it is that leads the thought process. Now, how do you convince that guy later to, you know, take a risk on this kid from Hampton, Sydney, or Mercer, you know, or Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo, when it worked out when they took this third stringer, from, you know, from, from Florida or whatever? I mean, that's my real terror, is that they'll shrink their universe instead of growing their universe. Absolutely. And, and and they'll shrink it faster than they grow it because that's what they swear by. They swear by the big school guys. You know, and we, we talked about it. Well, they're afraid to bring this guy in front of their GM. Well, most of these GMs aren't very progressive when it comes down to it, unless they're analytics guys. Then it's, then it's a different story. But for the most part, the old school guys are old school scouts. Your Gettleman's and all those guys. And, and Dave Gettleman's one of those guys. Yeah, well, you know, we, if a, if a guy's playing at Lock Haven, I want to know why he wasn't playing at Penn State. Well, maybe because Penn State had fifty other kids from the country that they already had on their board already. They didn't need this kid. <laughs> so it, it, it's let's be realistic. You know, the, the big FBS schools for the most part can recruit from anywhere. Okay, so yeah, you you don't end up at Georgia. Yeah, you may you may not end up at Duke, you know. But at the end of the day, football is football, and if you're really going to say you're the best, look for the best at every level. And that's the problem that I have is we're not doing that anymore. Now we're just saying let's go big school guys, and if a small school guy stands out so much, we'll look at him. And if he's not, if he doesn't time well, then you know he's just off the board. I, I can't believe we're pulling people off the board for forty times when we're still drafting people with poor forty times. I mean, it doesn't make any sense anymore. The, the the double standard that we use with this because of a small school guy, or because of it, it, it's becoming comical because none of it is consistent. It doesn't make any sense, and the only way we justify it is to say, "Well, we're here, you're there." And we know more than you. Not really. You yeah, don't know Jeff, more. Jeff, it's an extension of a bigger, like this is a bigger hypocrisy. Every team thinks they are smarter than all the other teams and they evaluate better. And yet, 
Yeah. They will trust the evaluations of every big college over every other small college. Like they make yeah. this assumption that, that the big schools know better, which is why they're better, as opposed to, hey, they got a great brand and a kid wants to play there. The top prospects generally gravitate to those schools. Yeah. But they, you yeah. Know, it's like they would tell you that they're, they, they're the only ones who really know recruiting or, or evaluation of players, but then they'll tell you that they trust everything that the power prime does. It's, you know. Well, yeah, and, 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 and you hear it, in, and, and Bill will tell you, how many times we hear this every year, Bill? Well, you guys don't have the information we have. Well, yeah. I have the same film that you have. So I don't know what, is there something in the film that's hidden like that needs to be decoded and you have the decoder ring because if we're looking at the same film there's no way in hell you can tell me this kid can't play football at your level hey, when, you know bill. And, but that's what we get bill and to be honest jeff there's on some of these players i have more information than they have i promise you yeah. i know more about the matter <laughs> than any NFL on the planet earth i promise you that I, I challenge any NFL scout to, to, to come meet me and we'll talk about what Motley better. I promise you I will. Uh-huh. Yeah. The problem, the yeah, problem is the fact that the problem is the fact that the college recruiting process has been so accelerated that people are taking kids before they even finish developing and write kids mm-hmm. off before they finish developing. And I'm over at Rice, and we benefit from that. We benefit from being able to evaluate a kid off their senior film and take the best one because, hell, Penn State's done by June. Auburn's done by September. They're done, and and they have to be because they got to fight off other people from stealing their players once they start playing their senior year because you're just fending off other people from poaching you. That's what the senior year has become because every kid wants to protect themselves. And what happens is, like you guys are saying, these kids that are late bloomers, late developers, it's not even that they don't develop till college. It's because they don't develop till their senior year. A lot of kids, hell, would come to our camps when I was at Houston, and they freaking tear it up. But we had to commit at that position already. Or, well, we're only taking so many at that position. And it, uh. it it's terrible because, like – I mean, what what Jeff was saying is that, like, there is a double standard. It's like, okay, so we're going to waive the fact that this kid ran a 4-7 because he plays in the Power 5. But we're going to hold this other kid to the fire because he's playing in the Missouri Valley Conference and was a more productive player or what, whatever the case may be, right? Like, you play both, ends, both sides of the spectrum to fit your argument. Mm-hmm. Right. Right, right. Uh, for those who don't know Alex Brown, Alex Brown has, he was part of what I call uh, draft order 2.0, his generation. Uh, he has, as you just mentioned, worked for a couple of different colleges. He has a strong evaluation background, and he now is heading up uh, Rice, which I think is a program on the, on the come, and he sees He's on the front lines of seeing how much the world has changed. We all know the stories, right, of, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers was 5'11 and 155 pounds, you know, <laughs> when he began his senior year at uh, whatever high school was in Gilroy, California, uh, and all the other guys, like the long list of guys who were, you know, so this and so that, and then it took them a year or two years to develop physically. And it's funny to me, 
what you just said about how that last year is just about you're not doing anything but fending off attacks upon your perimeter, basically, is what it sounds like. You're, you're okay, we just got to keep all of the underneath this protective dome of our recruitment process as opposed to still evaluating and finding players because some guys are going to get better. And the worst part is that confirmation bias just just overwhelms the coaches involved in it because it becomes more of a, well, it's my guy versus your guy conversation. And it happens on every uh, staff. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's my role. It's my role to be the person who's the dick in the conversation. No, like this is the film. This is the better player. And this mm-hmm. is why. I don't have skin in the game other than the fact that if we take a if we miss on this player, that's a three hundred and fifty thousand dollar scholarship and potentially my job on the line. I know you have an area to recruit, but we have a team to build. And like that's the craziest thing about it. It's like the college game is very egocentric. And I think until like this this has actually been a really as as ter- as there's a lot of awful things about this entire pandemic, right? And it's terrible for recruits for the fact that they don't get coaches to come see them in, you know, shirts and shorts going through workouts because you get to see so much development and, and how guys grow and how guys develop from their junior year to where they are heading into their senior year and camp season. Camp season is so huge for those high end group of five guys that are trying to make that, you know, that last push to get to their dream school. But what this is going to force teams to do, like you've seen a lot of teams kind of strong arm recruits into into committing early but it's going to force a lot of teams to evaluate senior film and and i hope it keeps kids from sliding through the cracks and ultimately it it overlays into the draft process where these kids landed at uh southern illinois you know jeremy cash like okay you're gonna hold it against him i mean he's identical to isaiah simmons the same player Yeah, the answer is yes, they're going to hold it against them. <laughs> That's the answer. <laughs> yes, the answer is yes, they're going to hold it against them. Right, thank you for the answer. You're correct. It's exactly what's going to happen. Uh, I think what's fascinating to me, and this is why I want to talk at least a little bit about the role of analytics, and of course that means different things to different people, um, but when I talked to Jim Coburn about why he leans so heavily on these things and why it matters, he says because it takes or at least if you're doing it right, it should take your biases and your whatever and put them in perspective or hopefully even minimize them, right? <laughs> so if you, if you boil it down to data, data, and you believe in data, obviously that's another important it, it should take away some of that my ego is attached to it, or hopefully. My, now, I guess people can, you know, decide to still insert their egos, but, but he, the reason he does what he does and what he does it is so I can say this is what, 50 years, 40 years, 30 years, how many years of the data has shown me about these players in this position? If they produce like this, if they test like this, the outcome is this, right? If I put this in, I get this out. And I know there's teams, every team has some attachment, some belief in their guys and their way. And I mean, that's never going completely away, but I do see at least a few teams at the pro level. And there's some teams, you know, I believe at the college level who are starting to say, okay, it's okay to have feelings and you feel these things, but hey, here's what facts. Like here's, we want to balance facts and feelings. Um, I'll just ask you quickly, Alex. 
when you guys look at here's what this guy's physical measurements are, his physical testing is, and here's how he produced things like that. How much of a role does that play with the guys who say, well, I love this about it. Oh, look at how he does this. You know, and, and once again, I mean, that's data, too. It's all data. You know, watching film is data, too. It's just data that is qualitative rather than quantitative. Um, but how do, you, how do you guys try to find that balance? I, I would say contextual. Um, so when I say contextual, uh, as we're in the identification phase, deciding whether or not we need to go down the road of really evaluating and digging deep on who the kid is and what his actual game film looks like, um, it helps eliminate players. So I look at it, and the more scouts I talk to, it's it's more about identifying what's the lower bound. Like, what is the threshold of athleticism or verified measurables you, you can win with? And there's levels to it, right? Like, um, if you're a, you know, fall into a certain height, weight, speed range, um, the most you can be in Conference USA is a backup or a starter, you know, depending on what position, all that. I'm not going to get in the minutia of it, but it helps develop, uh, it helps as a filter at the start. And on the back end, when you're close on two kids, it's a separating factor. Like, and I think it comes down to um, some kids just, at the end of the day, they, they cannot control where they're playing. It can't, it can't control the fact that they were born in El Paso, right? Like, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. But um, the, the phrase that we always say is, like, treat Chucky's like Chucky's. Like, if you are dominating, then it's literally – it's just checking off a box. It's not necessarily blowing me away because I know the level of competition. And on the flip side, when a guy is going, you know, playing 6A ball in Georgia and he's – you know, two strides every five yards and pulling away from everybody. I'm going to make the assumption that the place, the play speed is, is elite and great for what we're looking for, but I'm going to cross reference that with the time. And then you have that data of, okay, well plays faster than any times. Now, as we're comparing and making a decision between one or more players, that's when it can help us make a decision. And it's like, look, this is the same player on tape. One guy is two inches taller and, you know, two tenths of a second faster. And what we use is um, it's called tracking football. And this company does an awesome job of like collating data from the last, I don't know, 30, 40 years of college football. So you can actually get a um, percentile of what that kid's 100 meter time compares to the the rice wide receivers over the last 10 years, the the top CUSA receivers over the last 10 years. You can see a percentile, and it's very obvious. Like, okay, this guy is a bottom quartile from an, you know, an athletic score standpoint. And I think the hardest thing that people get caught up in is they, they make arbitrary numbers, and they make arbitrary kind of like data sets instead of trying – it's all about creating context with data. And – Sometimes you're able to have the clear picture and sometimes you don't have enough information to have a clear picture and you have to take it for what it is, a data, a data piece, you know, and I, I think that's the tough balance and that's what really makes it uh, an inexact science. I don't, I don't know if that answered your question, but that's, that's how we approach it. I, I mean, it's, it's a filter one and it's a uh, differentiator on the back end. No, you, you answered the living day I saw that question. That question will never need to be asked again, ever. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. Can I, I mean, ask a sort of a dumb guy question, a corollary? Why, why doesn't the NFL put an RF 
RFID chip on any kid that they think is a potential prospect and track his progress and what he does in actual games with pads on. It's a lot of money. Well, <laughs> oh, the and, and it's, it's, it's a lot of money, but it's an NFC, the NFL we're talking about who think about the money it costs them to draft and develop a player and pay that, pay that guy like to get it right, you know, to get yeah. better at it. That, that would seem to make a lot of sense to me because then it's, you're really comparing apples to apples. Yes. And, and it's also the data. It's also the data you use. You know, I mean, uh, if you're going to use data, it has to be relevant to the conversation. It, you just can't throw stupid stuff out there. Uh, yes. I think one of the yeah, I, I think one of the most overused things now is they're using it for the most innate things. I think that we saw last year. Well, he got up to this speed on this play. He got up to 24 miles an hour. That, that that's all fine and dandy. But that's one play out of 60 he ran 24 miles an hour. What happened on the other 59? <laughs> you know, it, it's nice. It'll get me wrong. But there are times where we, we, we take certain things and we cherry pick it. If you want to look at it, yes, we, would, we want to compare it. We want to use it as, as, as a, another tool to measure this person's athletic ability. But then there's also a consistency factor. It, and, and just to take a couple of numbers and say, well, he does this, this great, but consistently over the course of a season, you could track it game by game and see where the, where the inconsistencies are. And sometimes it's an opponent. Sometimes it's, it's another situation. And then there's a fact of that, you know, I, 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 the kid that I scouted, one of the tight ends this year from Southwest Oklahoma state, they caught nine balls, but I saw him burn everybody in an all-star game. Why? Because when I spoke to his head coach, his head coach says, well, I fired my whole offensive staff last year. This staff came in. He wasn't even featured in the offense. So, he, yeah, he caught just nine balls because we didn't throw in the football. It wasn't because he wasn't good, <laughs> you know. So it's one of those things where, well, this kid's numbers are going to stink. But if you look at the film, you see the ability on film. And when he finally got a chance to prove it in a situation where he was actually featured, he tore up guys from all over the country who were better than the competition that he faced. So it's one of those things, okay, okay, well, he's, he may not be a guy that I'm going to say, okay, well, let's turn a card in with his name on it. But he's a guy that said he deserves a camp invite, bring him in, and let's see what he does when he gets to the next level. And But that doesn't happen. Because we're so obsessed with, well, you know what? I'll take I'll take Eli Wolf from Georgia. He played at Georgia. He played at SEC. He has a lot of upside. But this kid is probably faster and more athletic than Wolf. So, <laughs> but so yeah. two, Georgia, two Georgia tight ends got that right. Yeah. And yeah. and they're not they're not terrible players. So I want to make it preface oh. by saying I'm not banging on them particularly. No, I, I just threw them out as a name. There's nothing personal. Don't get me wrong. It's just I just right, threw them right. out as a name. But I'm 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 dovetailing into that. Like, if, but if you don't think there were better tight ends than those two in America, like there there are better tight ends. I don't know how to put it. There's yeah. better tight ends in the country yeah. playing college football than those two. And yeah. I get it. Right, Georgia. That helps people love the name brand. Right. It's a good. It's a name brand school. And there were good things about these guys, right? Um, you know, Warner had a really good week of practices at the Shrine, and you know, Eli Wolf showed some things too, but these are project guys. They're both projects. 
I, I'm yeah. sorry. I know they went to Georgia and all that good stuff, but these are projects. If you think these guys are going to play a lot early in their careers, well, that one that means something has gone wrong. Like somebody, bunch of people got hurt, I guess, that position. But <laughs> but if you're going to take a project guy, Bill, why not take a project guy who has unbelievable athleticism that you know at least it's like if you can teach the guy, he he is not going to peak out at some level that's below NFL level. Like I don't know. Right. Maybe there's small percentage of guys who aren't great athletes who end up being great football players. And if you can identify but, them, hey, good for you. Right, yeah. but, right. So you're saying why not roll the dice on Nigel Kilby or something like that. It sounds like what you're saying. Devin Case. Yeah. You know, Devin Case. Yeah. Got it. Devin Case. Like Nigel Kilby, right. 99% you know, uh, spark athlete who was also a productive college football player. At right. The, he had to produce. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Nigel Kilby yeah. was not very productive, but he he's kind of a freak. And Chase, I mean, I don't know what the knock was supposed to be on Devin Chase. I guess other than he went to Drake, I guess that was the whole issue there. But, I think it's. I mean, I mean, it's like the last guy that came out of Drake wasn't a big hit. You know, the tight last tight end from from Drake, uh, Eric Talbert, was like you know sort of a miss. So I guess they were like, we're not going to go back to that pool. Like another a player will never be drafted from Tusculum ever again because of Richard Coakley, but, you know, it's like it's totally unfair. But I bet you there's at least some psychology like that. Yeah. It, well, it, just look at what you had over the past year. We were just talking about the guys from Georgia. We could talk about the kid from LSU that went from receiver to tight end to receiver to tight end. Oh, let's talk right. about – let's go back a year, okay? And we saw a kid light it up, all right, and, and – um. And just as, as, as soon as I start talking about him, I lose his name. Um, Donald Parham. Thank you. Yeah. All right. We're talking about yeah. we saw Parham light it up right, in college. All right. And then uh, Stetson. Nobody drafted him. Uh, even after he went to the Senior Bowl and, and, and had a solid week at the Senior Bowl, nobody yeah. drafted him. Oh, we they, they, it, it, he, no, um, they brought him in as, 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 as a camp body, cut him with the rest of them. He ends up in the XFL. Finally gets in a weight room, adds the weight needed, looks good in the XFL. All of a sudden now, it's a fight to bring him back. You could have had him in your camp the whole time. You could have got through the training camp. You could have practice squatted him, put him in the weight room, and had him there the whole year where he learned your system and was there. Instead, you, you dumped him off on somebody else, and then you had to fight to get him back. That That's the lazy way out. And it, we can't keep doing this because what's going to happen is, the guys that deserve the shot are going to miss out, and we're going to keep bringing in dregs and retreads. You know, how many times are we going to keep signing one guy from one practice squad to the other for five straight years before we finally keep? You know, you know what? He just can't play in the NFL. Now, yeah, well, you, you got three hundred kids you send home every year, and maybe they could have stuck around. <laughs> you know, it, it's like we, yeah, we're playing. We're playing, we're playing the, the percentages, and we'd rather just avoid the lower percentages instead of and say, well, he's a higher percentage because he comes out of a certain school. No, if you take any numbers, the, the, the analytics portion and the film, and you're doing your due diligence, regardless of the school, look at the kid. You know, yeah. and that's if my It's point. Yeah. version, though. It's, it's, it's just like the, yeah. like the Army or whatever. It's, Everything's about CYA, and if you, you can justify it out, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll throw it to the person who's actually, you know, uh, standing on the table for kids recruiting mm -hmm. them for college, but it's like, you know, if you take a chance on a player and that player doesn't work out, 
there's a lot bigger risk to you than the risk of taking a player that from a good school that should be good and everything who you don't re, you're not really a sold on you know doesn't have the much upside or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I, I can tell you what you know when I've had you know when I've coached it didn't matter where the kid came from, whether he went to Auburn, whether he played at Nichols, whether he didn't play anything after high school and he ended up in, in my tryout, he got the same tryout. Now, it was always great to know that he played some college ball because I didn't really know I could do more with him. But overall, he still got the same tryout. And sometimes they outperform some of the college guys. And it, it, it was like, okay, well, you're out there, kid. You know, but at the same point, you know, we're getting to the point where it's becoming about everything else but the kid. And that's part of the problem. Yeah, well, you know, he comes from Fort Valley State. Okay, yeah, well, but his numbers were this. Yeah, but, yeah, but, no, look at the film. Let's let's evaluate him fairly and give him, and, and, and then you know, give him the shot, grade him fairly and put him on our board or take him off. Don't take him off because of one bad number when you're keeping a guy up there with three bad numbers because he's from a bigger school. And I I get the level of competition. I've seen it. <laughs> you know, I understand it. But it, it's a point where we're not doing the fair share. We want to make our team better. We're supposed to be making sure we're not missing anybody. And we're missing guys. We really are because there some of these guys that are coming to camp just are not going to make it. Just and they're there because they either are somebody's son, you know, because we saw that with with Shermer's kid. He didn't deserve to be in a camp, but he got there. <laughs> you know, and we saw that with Testaverde's kid. You know, and, and we're seeing that with other reasons. Oh, you know, he's from this school. You know, let's get back to putting the kids in camp that deserve to be in camp, that deserve the shot. We, we always make a big deal on TV saying, they des- you know, this is an honor to be drafted. It's an honor to be invited to a camp. It's an honor to be signed. No, it's not always an honor because some of these guys are there for other reasons. Well, let, let me put a question directly to Mr. Alex Brown. <laughs> when you talked about how, you know, kid can't, can't pick where to be born. You can't pick, you know, where. <laughs> I mean, level of competition is one of those things that it means very different things to different people. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I try to weigh it as fairly as I can, but I try not to be, you know, enslaved by the thought that. I mean, yes, did Ali Market play against NFL players in his time at at uh, at Hobart? No. I mean, like, I get that. I get that he was playing as a bunch of 230, 240, 260-pound, you know, defensive linemen who were going to be, you know, lawyers and doctors and, you know, uh, entrepreneurs as opposed to being at Auburn and playing, you know, at least four or five times against the guys who play at the next level. I get that. But... You have to watch kids from, as you said, every single school, from huge, from North Shore to, you know, uh, little border town schools where, you know, there's barely enough kids to, you know, I, mean, I don't know if you look at, like, less than 11 men <laughs> football, but I know that some of those little border town schools where basically every boy in the school practices on the football team. Uh, how much does it matter to you when you're trying to find guys who they've played against before? 
It, I'd lie if it's if I said it wasn't a factor. But here's the thing: if the film is good and it is good enough to where you know that guy can play for you, and you have verified measurables to back that up, then there is discussion, and that's when you have to ver like really verify the numbers. And that's when the in-person evaluation becomes so critical because you need to see the body type. Like that's the biggest, that's the biggest hurdle when you're watching um, apples and oranges tape. I, I would, I would put it that way because when I watch a between, um, you know, North Dakota state and South Dakota state are great teams. Like North Dakota state's a, a phenomenal team. Their quarterback this year is going to be a, a top top pick next year right mm-hmm. but it's a yep. different field than alabama and clemson it just is height weight speed everything so yep. what's the yep. what's the separating factor when i get my eyes on both of those body types then i can clearly paint the picture and stack those two people up against each other here's what happens what happens is these evaluators and for us I mean, we lost our entire spring evaluation period. We lost the ability to go do this. But mm-hmm. if you don't do your due diligence to go out of your way to watch those guys in person, then shame on you, right? And mm-hmm. I think that played a big factor in the draft this year. I know like, it, it, took, it took forever for the first non-combine guy to go in the draft. I don't even – it had to have been day three. Um, Kevin Dotson yeah, on day three. Yep. So, and, and that's, and that's the, that's the thing. It is, it's two things. Um, I have to get an in-person evaluation to verify the size and I've got to get some sort of verification on athletic measurement because I know that the players he's playing against are not going to be guys he plays against the next level. I have to still evaluate the traits. I have to still evaluate the play style. I still have to evaluate those things, but the, the physical tools that it takes to play this game will still always be the number two factor. The number one factor is the makeup. I will always believe that the makeup and and the intangibles are the number one thing. And then it's, then it becomes the physical tools and then it becomes a position specifics because this is a developmental game. This is developmental and scheme specific game. It is not that complicated. And if you can check off those boxes, then there's no reason why these guys should fall like they do. It's just a matter of uh, it's it's in our DNA to prior, prioritize higher level of competition, and at at some at some level, like that does make sense. Like you can't fault for for wanting a guy that competes at the highest level, but at the same time, you do need to do due diligence. That's that's my my viewpoint on it. Sure, and as you guys may or may not know, Alex was around at Oliver from, what, 16? Was that when you started first being well, involved was, with that so, Oliver? No, I, I got in it in uh, March of 2015 when we were recruiting him. And I'd be lying if Tony if I didn't if I didn't give Tony Levine credit for offering that kid when he was a freshman um, and recruiting uh-huh. him and his older brother, signing his older brother. And Tony Levine right. kind of put it in that kid's head. But, no, I was – I was able to see Ed through his junior year and his senior year and signed him um, as the recruiting coordinator. Right. Now, so you've been around an elite, 
elite level athlete. Like that's whatever else you <laughs> like. If that's not an elite level athlete, I don't know what is. Right? I mean, he's maybe he's in the top three most athletic players at his position in the NFL. And there's some freaks nowadays playing D tackle in the NFL, but he's he's in the mix. And you've also recruited kids who, you know, like you said, were sort of developmental guys, guys who, when you have this standard setter, like Ed Oliver, right, and you look down all the, as you said, makeup, everything, like all the boxes are basically checked when it comes to a guy like that. There's, you know, bulletproof practically in terms of evaluation. Does that guy then become your, like for me, when I first started doing this, I, John Elway sort of helped me to put in my mind, when I'm looking at elite-level quarterbacks, he's sort of the, the, the prototype to some extent. Like he's the thing by which I sort of measure. Is When you're looking at guys who play, you know, interior defensive line, do you still sort of look at Ed Oliver as, the prototype, the thing I have in my mind, or how does, or do you just sort of just try to not think that way? I mean, I, I don't, because I know maybe it's just something I do because I don't have to answer to, you know, an actual system. I just look for players I like. You actually have to get these guys to fit into something. How, do, how does that process work for you in terms of the measuring stick? Yeah, so um, it's interesting that, that it's a great question first. I can't think that way because Ed Oliver did not fit our defense. He did not fit our defense at all. We were a, a three-four uh, controlled line of scrimmage defense, and we had to adjust to be a one-gap penetrating team. And he did not fit the bill as a five-tech. He wasn't long enough. He wasn't long enough to play four-eye. Um, he'd get consumed, and if you saw his, his junior tape, he really struggled when yep. we put him at end. We had to put him at end in, in certain situations, but he can't do it because he lacks the length. And as a nose tackle, he's not a big human being. Like when you see him, he's a, he looks more like a linebacker, and when he runs, he looks like a linebacker. So he's like – He moves like a linebacker. <laughs> so he's, 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 a, he's a freaky – a uh, true three technique in every sense of the word, Tampa two, three tech. Like that is who he is, but he is so athletic and gifted that he transcends the scheme, transcended the scheme for us. Right. And he fits exactly what, what they're doing up there. And I think he'll develop into being a really good NFL player. I don't know if he's going to be elite like he was at the college level. And even then, if you looked at his production from a sack standpoint, he wasn't elite there. Um, he's just so unique of a player. I, I can't get into that um, because now at, at Rice, Brian Smith's our defensive coordinator, and he's running essentially a four-two-five, but uh, you know, more or less a bastardized version of Rex Ryan's defense. It's Rex Ryan and, and Don Brown's defense, and I need to be able to find a plugging one tech. And I need to be able to find a true tackle that can kick out and play end at times. And I need an end that can really set the edge. So, like, I'm very specific in the types of players I'm recruiting now, even more so than I was at, at Houston because it's, it's such a demanding scheme and what we ask those guys to do because we rotate from being a four-man face to a three-man face to a two-man. Like, I mean, we're really 
uh, a constantly adapting scheme. So we, we have to be really specific in the guys we recruit. So I, I think you have to really just every player's their own story and every, every evaluation mm-hmm. is unique. And I can't, I can't use it all over as the, uh, as the, um, the stacking card. I, I just can't do it. It's too hard because he's just so different. Right. Well, that, that's, that's, I'm glad I asked you that question. And I, I figured that was probably going to be your answer, but I did want to hear, hear what you'd have to say. And obviously, I don't have to answer to a scheme, right? So that's the great thing about being a quote-unquote cap scout is I don't have to worry about how they fit or you know, what they can and can't do in certain specific situations. So, uh, or, or culture or the personality of what they're like off the field or anything either. I mean, that's another factor that, yep. that uh, you don't have to consider as much. Yeah. Oh, we, 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 had to say, we had to say no to the most talented, pure passer I have probably ever seen at a high school camp this past year because he just didn't have the makeup. Like he could not control the room and he had no presence. And I love the kid to death. And it was a very difficult end to a a week end long visit that he had. And it was awful. Like it was terrible. Like we, we didn't, we didn't offer him because we were waiting to see him throw at camp. And if it wasn't for us having him for a whole weekend, we wouldn't have known that he didn't have that, uh, that leadership component, that, that it factor. And I, and I know people are like, oh, really? The it factor? It's so like vague. <laughs> but you know it when you see it. And, and that, position, that position has to face the entire offense every single snap. And if you don't take right. that seriously, right. you're going to end up with Josh Rosen or Jay Cutler. And I, I love the arm talent of those two guys, but that it is what it is, right? Yep. Yep. Now, if I can't go now, to Western Kentucky and set the world on fire, um, do you do you do you just chalk it up to the game like, hey, I'm glad this kid found a situation where he could succeed, or do you rethink certain things? Um, I think I think you have to rethink certain things. Like, could we have, you know, adapted around his you know, deficiencies and could we have overlooked that? Um, but he ultimately signed uh, FCS. So, I mean, I don't, not that I don't feel bad. It's just, I mean, I, I feel pretty confident in our decision. Sure. Right. No, and you, and I don't, I don't doubt your decision. It's just, you, just like anything else, you sort of win, you learn more from your losses than your wins. It tends to happen at least, I don't know how it works in recruiting, but definitely from, you know, my time when I was a GA, um, we would always, you know, dig more deeply into how do we lose, why do we lose. Certainly it was a, a loss that we really didn't see coming. You know, how do we, how do we blow this? Um, I think the, the, one thing, the, the, one, the one thing that's really hard because they're so young, and I, I'd be interested to hear your guys' take as far as, you know, draft prospects, but um, – when you go into high schools and you talk to coaches about their players and there might be a guy that you love, he's got all the tools, right? I mean, for instance, there was a, a specific player in the city of Houston that we really liked who had all the physical traits and the coach, I mean, mo- to most recruiters, he's saying, 
oh, he's a solid kid. You know, I like this guy. You know, gives him a, you know, a, a, a halfway solid thumbs up, right? Because he doesn't know you. I mean, he's trying to push his kid. To our recruiter, he knows him very well, and he says, that kid doesn't work. He, it do, he doesn't love the game right now. I would, I, would, I would wait and just keep monitoring him. The kid blows up. He winds up going to a massive power five. He's committed. He's done. Like, we don't have a shot at him. But I think there's, there's some truth to maybe kids don't learn how to work hard or how to truly love the game until they mature. And I'm, I'd be curious to know if you guys have ever seen players develop a not a not a work ethic i don't th- I, like work ethic is, is, a, is a difficult one for me to see somebody develop late in life but i mean have, have you guys seen anybody do that because yeah. a lot of times with us in recruiting we'll write off a kid as a junior and then senior year he's a different kid and it makes all the sense in the world i mean i was completely different when i was 14 versus when i was 16. i mean night and day well, I'll throw out a quick example. So I went to Lake Taylor Junior High School, and I was on junior varsity, and I got to watch our varsity struggle mightily with Lake Taylor, with, uh, sorry, we were Lake Taylor, with um, uh, Booker T. Washington. And their best player was a guy named Bruce Smith. And Bruce Smith was 305 pounds at the time, maybe. He was over 300 pounds in high school, and it wasn't all good weight. Let me, let, me, let me assure you, uh, he was a, a big kind of sloppy kid at the time. And he was just so talented, it didn't matter. Um, and then he goes to Virginia Tech, gets in slightly better shape. Then he gets out of shape again when he gets to Buffalo. He's paying at like 298 his first year there. And he's a, still a good player, but he's not a player he could be. And then a couple of years into his career, um, he discovers working hard. Um, you know, a uh, combination of pride and wanting to look better, wanting to play better. You know, he's living on the Stairmaster, and I would see him at Waring's Gymnasium, which is a famous boxing gym in my hometown, you know, uh, hitting the heavy bag and hitting the speed bag and things like that. Um, that's the most sort of stark example of a guy who just coasted on talent for a long time and had so much talent that it didn't seem to really hurt him for a while, and then at some point this the switch flipped, and he became a great worker. Um, Jeff, I mean, obviously, I know you've coached. You, you, have you run across any examples like that? Oh, plenty. <laughs> um, I'll give you, I'll give you a, a name and a name you won't know, and they're related. Um, everybody knows who Ray Rice is. But when he was mm-hmm. at New Rochelle, his cousin Anthony Rice was with him. They were both phenomenal running backs. But you saw the difference with the two. Uh, by the time Ray became a senior, of course, he went off the Rutgers. You know what he turned into. Anthony Rice was just as talented a runner. I had the chance to play with him. I had a chance to coach him. Um, the problem with Anthony Rice was because he was a Rice and because he came up a couple of years behind Ray, he was so used to the name giving him so much. When he was at New Rochelle, because he followed Ray and he was good and he had all that stuff, um, he, he he expected it to be given to him, and when it didn't happen, he made up the excuse. So you had one with this phenomenal work ethic, and you had one that had none of it. And they were both phenomenal running backs. I, like I said, we, we got Anthony in 2004, 
um, my last year playing when I was transitioning back into coaching again. And we got him for a year and hopefully to get him into a college program. He couldn't pass. He couldn't pass the, the SAT. The, I think he scored maybe 700. You know, he just didn't work at nothing. You know, he'd work out. You look at him as, over the years, so he kept playing ball. He's a, he's a, a physical phenomenon, running the football. Play, no matter what he did, he played some low-level arena, but that's all he would ever be because his work ethic off the field was just pathetic. And, it, it, and no matter, it, he just did not mature into it. Meanwhile, you saw what you saw what Ray was. So it was one of those things you looked at the kid and said, "Can he change? Is he ever going to grow up and develop?" You try with some kids. Some kids just do it. Some kids it just doesn't click. It is what it is. You can't you can't make them do it. You can give them the opportunity. If you're if you're at a program, you have to make the choice to say, "Do we believe this kid is going to grow while he's here?" Some programs will take that risk. I, if I'm a big program, I might not. If I'm a if I'm a mid major, I might consider it because you know what? Maybe this could be the one kid that puts us up. If he if the light bulb comes on, he may be the one kid that raises our program up. So it, it's it, it could be one of those things where you look at it and say, okay, let's give it a shot. Sometimes it's just, yeah, it's not worth the risk. You know, I just don't see this kid growing up, and even if he's here, we trying to give him a shot. I don't see him developing into that. But that, if I want to be specific, that's the easiest one that comes to mind is Ray Rice, Anthony Rice. Will, do you have any guys you've ever seen, either like a positive or negative stories about uh, finding it? In terms of not not in football, not in football, but in in uh, even it's sort of related to football. I I knew a football player in high school that I happened to go to high school with, um, who uh, was big, you know, and and that because you're big and you're in high school, they they just try to find ways to fit you into an athletic profile. And he played uh, offensive and defensive line. Is a at that time was about six four, uh, and uh, they just you know tried to make him an athlete, and he was. Not particularly athletic. Even uh, at some point, they decided he wasn't really cut out for football, so they put him on the basketball court, and uh, he never really advanced beyond JV until um, maybe you know just the senior year. Maybe they brought him off the bench. Anyway, a kid named Armin Gilliam, who uh, because oh. his cousin had gotten recruited to play at WVU by a certain recruiter, and the cousin was actually a very hard worker and a terrific football player. Um, named Van Johnson, uh, or sorry, not Van Johnson, Van, uh, ah, I got sick of his last name. I should, should, should have, I feel bad now that I can't remember his name, linebacker at WVU. Um, at any rate, um, they, he, they, I guess UNLV had somebody drop out mm-hmm. and they ended up with an extra scholarship and they got this kid into UNLV. Basically, since the light didn't really click on for him to become an athlete and to have to really work at it until he was maybe a sophomore, you know, at UNLV. So at that point, I think he was pushing 20 years old compared to this kid that I remember at 16 or 17 who, who didn't have any discernible athletic skills and didn't seem to have the interest in doing it. In fact, I, from talking to him and knowing him a little bit personally, I just don't think he was really that interested. I think that's a lot of kids are, you know, it takes them a while to figure that thing out. Um, 
and you know he absolutely really turned it on. Ended up being the number two pick in the NBA draft and averaged a triple double for his career. You know, for a guy that not that many people know, um, it is possible to I think to turn it on later, and that's completely understandable to me if that happens with with kids. Yeah, I I, I think particularly with the high school to college thing, you slice probably a lot more examples than college to pro. Um, partially just because you are, you know, at least technically speaking, an adult by the time you are, you know, in college. And, you know, briefly, uh, he hopped on but had to hop off. We had Coach David Shelton, who is sort of in that place between high school and college. He's a, a defensive backfield coach at a uh, junior college in California. And JUCOs are fascinating to me. Right? I mean, I think junior college football is it, well. First of all, it's its own creature altogether, right? It's its own yeah. separate world uh, because you you see very kids who are very different from each other, right? There's guys who are coming down mm-hmm. back down from college. There's guys who are coming in from high school. There's guys who are basically football mercenaries, for lack of a better way of putting it. Like they don't have any real ties or commitment to this team. I mean, they're on the team, but they're not on the team, you know, yeah. <laughs> I got to get yeah. my numbers, I got to get out of this place, you know, and, you know yeah. see you step into the funny paper. <laughs> um, and then there's guys who, yeah, I mean, they buy in, or how you want to put it, they're just like, hey, you know, I'm proud to be here at Rancho Cucamonga Junior College or whatever it is, And but it, it's just so different, like the, the level of everything, <laughs> you see it, junior colleges is so different, and even, you know, some junior colleges, do a fairly good job of taking care of their student athletes, and some of them don't. I don't know how to put that. Like there is places where you know kids don't always get fed well or housed well. Um, you know, I've heard loads of stories about guys having to get resourceful uh, in order to figure out what would be you know it's just a basic necessity. You know, how how can we figure out a way to get food? How can we figure out you know, how many of us can live in this, you know, two-bedroom apartment that we can all sort of split the rent on because some junior colleges don't have dorms. So it's just interesting to see how different it is, how wildly different it is. And of course, some junior colleges are basically just two-year versions of four-year schools. Like, they have all the amenities, but not all. Like, it's, I think it's the greatest variance in terms of experience and, you know, what commitment level there is to taking care of the kid. I think it's the one, there's no other level of football you see the variance between top and bottom and worst and best. I think it's greatest and I think it's the greatest of all at the junior college level. I mean, but think about it this way. Think about in your own life, the difference in who you became as a person and grew and learned how to do something when you were paired with, a mentor or a teacher or a coach that you just clicked with or that clicked with you or, or believed in you, you know? So I think that would be very hard. I can't even imagine going in to be a kid who's 15 or 16 years old and understand what the potential is with that kid as a, as a worker, as a person, as an athlete even. Like, God bless people that can do it. Um, but that, yeah. to me, is so tough. And, and, yeah, and that's... That's part of the challenge when you're looking at guys, especially we were talking about the draft. You know, you get a kid at 18 that comes to uh, Notre Dame, and we know how Brian Kelly is. 
and you're going to get a guy. He he's one of those guys that's really tough on players. And if you're not used to that, yeah. you know. It's one of those things where you're going to be gone before you know it because you're not going to be able to last four years of or five years of dealing with that type of personality, you know, and it was one of those things that it haunted Deshaun Kaiser into the pros because he yes. didn't get along. Let's, let's yeah. spend some time on yeah. that. I'm actually yes. glad you brought that up. He was yes. damaged good. Mentally. Yes. By the time he yeah. got <laughs> yeah. yeah. to Think about how the whole process happened. Okay, they they go they go to the playoff that year, and then all of a sudden the next year he comes back and there's a whole bunch of issues. He loses some guys in suspension. You know, there's injuries. You know, there's he had to compete again with Zaire. He beats out Zaire, and they don't have the year they're supposed to have. And then he says, you know what? I'm going to take my shot now. I, I don't want to come back and risk injury. I don't want to do all that. I'm going to take my shot now. And the coach goes and tells everybody, yeah, well, he's not ready. He should come back. Because, not because he doesn't think the kid is ready, because he was butthurt that he left them in a situation he didn't have a quarterback. So then you turn around at the draft and you go into the draft and the same coach who threw you under the bus is now going, I'm going to come here and I'm going to sit here with you and I'm going to support you. You didn't support me for three and a half years. <laughs> all of a sudden we get the draft night, you want to support me. And so he goes to Cleveland and he goes to Cleveland where Hugh Jackson doesn't support anybody as long as they're not winning for him. And he, he gets there and the team is horrible and he's getting thrown under the bus and they're running some of the worst play calling known to man. I, I mean, I saw them one time on third and 15, trying to run play action out of the eye. Who does that on third and 15? But anyway, getting back to it, he gets through that dreadful season. They finally get rid of Hugh. They come back next year and it's like, okay, well, we're going to draft Mayfield and you're gone. Okay. Well, where am I going to end up? Yeah. I, uh, yeah. You get the backup Aaron Rodgers in green Bay. And he's there, and he's supposed to learn. And I'm pretty sure he didn't learn a damn thing from Aaron Rodgers. Because Aaron Rodgers is like, kid, I'm trying to win. I ain't worried about you. So it was a waste of time for him in Green Bay. He goes to Oakland. The guy ahead of him is playing for his job, so he's not trying to teach him anything either. So now he, and now they come in a situation, nope, here's Mariota. You're going again. Hey, Jeff, I didn't want to get too off your point, but you know, the thing about that Aaron Rodgers situation in Green Bay, for him to say that, is very short-sighted because didn't Aaron Rodgers miss the playoffs one year because he was injured and his backup didn't win one more game? I mean, yeah. it's like yeah. if, you, if you really want if to you, – if you're interested in your career is making the team better and winning championships because of it, then you're motivated to, like, make the team better. It's just such a short-sighted thing. But, you know, anyway, sorry yeah. to interrupt that. But yeah. You're right, and Aaron Rodgers was concerned about Aaron Rodgers keeping the state Storm commercials, which is why he ain't teach that dude anything either. You know, uh, and, and just how it is. You know, I can't keep my state Storm commercials and be the starting quarterback if I teach you everything I know and you take my job. Tony Romo found that out the hard way. Um, but <laughs> you know, so it, it is what it is. I mean, some guys. That that stigma follows them into the pros, and if they can't yeah. handle it and they don't end up in the right situation, it becomes who they are. That is the, now the narrative on Deshaun Kaiser. He didn't play poorly in Cleveland. He didn't play great either, but there was a miserable situation where he didn't play that bad. But yet, because it was a new GM, it was a new regime, and they said, we're, we're washing this whole thing out, and that includes you, kid. He got the bum rap. 
he got the role. They didn't win a game last year. Well, was he the reason why? Did you see the team? Did you see the play calling? There's a reason why that coach and his coaching staff got shown the door. They were fighting them into in meetings. You know, I mean, when when do you when you have a a TV show that highlights your offensive coordinator and head coach have trading barbs in team meetings? It pretty much shows how dysfunctional your staff is. You know, so it how was, do you... he went to literally the worst place for a. We talked about developing quarterbacks, right? I mean, yeah. he, he could not have gone to a worse situation. Like you would have to, you could have in the history of American professional tackle football, you'd be hard pressed. Like I guess the, um, I guess like the, the expansion Tampa Buccaneers. Like I think of situations that would have been as bad. Tampa Bay, that old Tampa Bay team, the creamsicle uniforms. I mean, let's be realistic. The only reason it was worse than what happened in Cleveland was because it happened so long with so many quarterbacks. But overall, in the short time in Cleveland, look at the guys he chased out of there. Look at the moves they made for quarterbacks that he chased out of there because they just couldn't. Yeah, let's be realistic. They traded for Brock Eisweiler. They gave up a second and a bunch of other picks for a guy for a guy that they didn't even bother to develop. They okay, great. Wait, oh, we're gonna draft this guy up, oh, and the, and the guy you drafted beats him out. So. It's, <laughs> It was just failure after failure. At least Doug Williams got Tampa Bay to the playoffs one year. You know, at least Testa Verde got flirted with 800 at times. I mean, 500 at times. I mean, but, I mean, they it was failure after failure after failure with Hugh Jackson. And for anybody to just say, well, you know, every quarterback he had stunk was not a fair evaluation of the, the talent that was there. Because this kid uh, came Cleveland, in and was, quarterbacks go to die. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> they, they do it to themselves. It, it's it's a shame. It's a shame. You know, and some of their picks didn't help them either. You know, taking no. Brandon, yeah, taking Brandon Wheaton in the first was the first setup, but that, that's. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I digress. I digress. <laughs> Well, maturity was not an issue with Brandon Wheaton, right? The other end of that spectrum. He was an underdeveloped, sort of slightly immature young man who, like I said, he, it'd be hard to name three worst situations in the history of American tackle football for a, a young, impressionable, slightly underdeveloped quarterback to go into. I mean, it was just, whew. Yeah, so, it was it was bad. We, we, it was bad. We, we may never know what Deshaun Kaiser could have been. I mean, that's that's no, that's what no. I think I would say. We may never ever know. I wanted him to transfer. I was I thought it would have been great if he I don't know gone to Stanford. I don't know someplace right, St- stable, um, you know, structured, but not, you know. I think I think it would have I think it would have reflected poorly on him. They would have if he would have left Notre Dame and, and went somewhere else. They would have wanted to know why, and it would have been the reverse of Alex Hornibrook. Nobody ever looked at the reason why he left Wisconsin. You know, as it went to Florida State. You know, when you were so, so supposedly so successful in Wisconsin, 
well, here's a guy who had limited, he had some success, and then he had some pitfalls. And you you see, every time he makes a mistake, he comes to the sideline, and the head coach is yanking him and yelling and cussing him out. And it, you can see him deflating every time Brian Kelly did it to him. You know, and and it was like okay. And if he would have left, they would have said this kid is weak. You know, we we've seen that. You know, he, he's he's weak. He's not mentally tough. He's not going to lead your quarterback room. He's gonna. He would have gotten the Geno Smith comparison. You know, and and there's another guy that got thrown into the deep end with weights on his ankles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, but and it was for that same thing. Oh, he's 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 weak. He's going to destroy your quarterback room. Well, let's send him to the Jets where they can't they they don't know what the hell they're doing with quarterbacks there. You know, yeah, it, it just it's a it's a it's a mess. Some teams, when it comes to evaluating guys and, and actually developing them, we talked about it. If you can't go in the deep end and swim right away, well, there'll be another shark in the water because we're not going to wait for you to catch up. It's a move. You got to hit the moving train, right? Yeah, yeah. It, 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 and but that's what it's become. And the sad part is that everybody's buying into it. You know, I think the the biggest argument I have with some of the media guys, this is the same argument I have for some of the fan guys, is. They want to fire winning coaches. Well, he hasn't won a big one. He's winning. What are you firing a winner for? He's consistently winning games. Why are you firing a winner? You, 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 you fire him. Every time some new, you know, like trendy LA waiter looking guy gets a head um, coaching job while Jim Caldwell is sitting at home. I can't help but ask myself. Like, 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 do you ever just for giggles just go and check Jim Caldwell's record as a coach? Just yeah. to make sure you're not going crazy because I do that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no explanation. No. No. Oh, it, it's, it's, there's an explanation, but I want to get into it today. Um, uh, and part of it is sort of his, he's not exciting in the same kind of way. Like, you know, people don't go, woo. Like, there's no cool Jim Caldwell memes you can look up. Try it. You won't find them. Um, <laughs> there's never going to be, you know, people tweeting and retweeting pictures of Jim Caldwell's swanky bachelor pad during the draft. That, that's not ever going to happen. He's, he's not the kind of guy that's going to, quote, unquote, move the needle. Will he help you to win football games? Yes. Will he raise the profile of your organization? Probably not that kind of way. But, yeah, um, in, our, in our last 15 or so or 20 or so minutes, uh, I'm going to go back to you, Will. Who were some of the players that really jumped out to you that you are particularly just blown away that they are not in somebody's camp? Well, I actually you, – I mean, you, you talked to Zach San Martino earlier today. That, that's a guy that makes – absolutely zero sense to me um you're talking about a center and guard capable offensive line yep. who never gave up a sack his ent- entire career who dominated his level of competition whatever you want to say about the ivy league and the history in the nfl of ivy league uh offensive linemen i think is pretty good the track record is is pretty good so that yep. that one in particular absolutely amazed me um quarterback kenji bahar from monmouth i thought was another one that 
you know, he's a guy that looks the part and has NFL quarterback size. He has not only mobility, but you know, he's a guy that when he's on the move keeps his eyes downfield. Quarterbacks, I think, were you know, were in a really tough spot because there's a lot of guys that got in these tryout camps and get signed as camp arms um, that you know don't necessarily have a big future. But if you get in there and you show something, you might stick, um, or at least you might make a practice squad. You might be around if somebody else gets injured, et cetera. So I felt quarterbacks in general, you know, had a really tough time trying to get through. And then, um, you know, the guy that had the most sacks at FCS last year, Andre Walker, um, not a mm-hmm. sniff, not a, not a word, not a tinkle. So, I mean, it, I could go on and on and on, but it's like certain positions. I mean, it makes a little bit more sense that maybe at running back because there's just so many uh, and it's, there's so few spots and, and um, you know, they're so considered to be so fungible anyway. Um, but, but man, a guy, a guy who's a pass rusher that has the most sacks, that, I would at least like to get that guy in a, in a rookie camp or whatever the equivalent is. Um, so, yeah, I don't understand necessarily the thinking behind who, who did get undrafted free agent spots and who didn't. I mean, for example, one last thing on the Zach Sanmartino yeah. bit, the Steelers basically in need of a backup center guard and with Pouncey uh, nearing the end. You know, they, they brought in a basically an Ivy League center uh, from a different, you know, a different Ivy League center who was not as decorated in the Ivy League. And the only difference between them is that basically that guy transferred to Tulane first before, he, before the draft. Um, but, you know, they basically took a guy that played the same level of competition for most of his career and was not as well thought of there and ended up, you know, making it as an undrafted free agent with the Steelers. Because he went to Tulane instead of Dartmouth, I mean that's weird to me. <laughs> right, right. Same question to you, Jeff. Who are some of the guys that you just blown away are still without a team? You know, walking around unsigned. <laughs> well, we were talking about quarterbacks. Um, I'm sorry, you, you had a guy win the uh, Division Two Player of the Year award, didn't even get a look, and that's oh, Roland yeah. Rivers. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and if you watch this film, yes, Rolling Rivers the third. I keep leaving that part <laughs> off. It's know. okay, the third. Yeah. You know, and I'm sorry, I saw this kid's film. He deserved a shot. I, I get it. That certain guys that they want to bring in, they played bigger ball, yada yada yada. At the end of the day, he's an arm talent. He's an athlete. He's a very intelligent player who's able to do a lot of things at the line of scrimmage. So I think, you know, you, you give this kid a shot to prove that he can play at this level. You know, why he didn't even get a shot and they assigned some of the other guys that I saw, it was like, okay, I don't get it, but whatever. Um, Tavon Green, edge rusher from Wagner. You know, if anybody saw the D-line that Wagner had this year, the guy that, that coached him up was Terrence Knighton, pot roast. And yes, and he had several guys on that defensive line that could rush the passer. Tavon Green was one of those edge rushers, and he destroyed people all week at the FCS Bowl. I saw him during the season, but at the FCS Bowl, he was almost unstoppable. Um, he didn't have you know a six sack game or anything, but he's a guy who consistently impacted the pocket, was a factor in the running game. And he's a perfect guy for one of those three, four schemes to rush the edge because uh, he's not really a huge guy to be a consistent 
uh, hand in the dirt defensive end, but all these teams that run these hybrid packages, he fits right in and that nobody even gave him a shot. So it's one of those things you look at and go, Hmm. Okay. Well, what else do you want? Also, um, it's funny. I didn't, I, I talked about Adrian Killens, the death and, and, his little clone to me was that Bethune Cookman. And that was Jimmy Robinson. And uh, yep. the third, I think it is. <laughs> and he's another <laughs> one where you, you look at it, he's that diminutive small back. But he reminds me a lot of Ampley. Ampley wasn't the biggest back, but he was quick. He was highly elusive in space. He had excellent return ability. And, and he had a little more toughness than people gave him credit for in between the tackles. tackles. And Jimmy Robinson was that way, and he had the ability to play in the slot. Um, he did that quite a bit at Cookman. He also ran a, uh, played in the backfield a lot the year before. And overall, he's a guy who everybody loves their gadget backs in the NFL offenses now. We love the Woodheads. We loved all these guys. Well, here's a guy that you could turn into that kind of player. And, you know, it's just, you know, nobody, once again, uh, it's all right. We'll pass on him. You know, the fact that Killens didn't get drafted really made me not think that they were going to give this kid a shot, and they didn't. So it's one of those things where you look at certain guys, you see the skill set, you see the traits that they say that they like, but because of the school, he wasn't going to get the look, and that's the part that bothered me the most. Yeah. Uh, I'm hey, gonna, just a, just so a quickly, can I throw just quick a name that I I mean just because yeah. we talked about these we can't develop quarterbacks. There's not that many. They don't give them shots. How about a guy that at, at the FBS level had 3,600 yards, 8.5 yards in attempt, uh, 28 touchdowns, seven interceptions, and didn't even get signed as an undrafted free agent? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like how can you do that? Like, I don't, I don't mm-hmm. understand. Right, sorry, go ahead. That's the buckshot Calvert from Liberty. But yeah. you know, that's mm-hmm. it's like so I, I, I'm a big I'm a big uh Steven, aka Buckshot Calvert fan. I've talked a little bit to to not to him but to some of his family members and they're they're perplexed. Um who how did Antonio Gandhi go and get those football people? How did they get there? Like yes, I'm always amazed that people like that's some of my some of my best discoveries have come from watching somebody, and then I noticed somebody else. And just so just watch was... the Baylor game. I mean, come on, the Baylor game. Yeah, you know, Buck, right. Buck right. against Baylor. If you have not watched that game, go and watch it and explain to me why. Okay, there's a lot of, you know, the guy kid's a little bit undersized and, you know, this and that and the other, but it's like, you know, he destroyed them. It wasn't all Antonio Golden, Gandy Golden, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, with that, the ball's getting there somehow. It's not just. <laughs> like, you know, they don't have a junk in the team back there. There's a guy, there's a quarterback doing it. So, yes, I, I'm, I'm going to agree with you there. Um, I keep talking about Lamont McFadder, and oh, yeah. I keep talking about him. He's, um, you know, and, hey, he even has the magical, you know, aura of having played a little bit at the – or more than a little bit, really, but playing a decent amount at the uh, FBS level because he started his career at Ball State. I, I thought that would help, and maybe the Max doesn't carry the same cachet. Um, <laughs> smart, productive nope. – he can play literally all of the positions in the secondary. He can play free safety. He can play strong safety. He can play corner. He can play slot. Um, enough size. Uh, once again, I guess the one knock would be that 
that he's probably not, you know, a, a track star, but he's stressing the imagination. But as was mentioned earlier, we make excuses for guys at LSU if they end up running a bad 40 or whatever. Um, obviously, a kid at Cal PA is not going to get that same sort of gentleman's, uh, you know, whatever, that, you know, the, the wink and nod. Uh, Shahan Williams, right, a guy with ludicrous production, um, you know, led, I think he led all levels of football in sacks last, uh, not last year, but the year before. And then this year, still was in double figures, as I said, that every team he ever faced was focusing, obviously, all of their attention on him. And so it helped one of his teammates to have a great, great season. But he still was, had like 10 and a half or 11 or something sacks, despite all the attention. And you mentioned pass rushing. Now, he's a quote-unquote tweener, and that used to be a really quote-unquote bad thing, I guess. But the way defenses play nowadays, everything's so hybridized. I was thinking exactly. a guy that could that has proven he can play interior and exterior would be an exciting thing to people. But what do I know? Um, let me see. Yeah, we, I mentioned Pete. I mean, Pete, Petey the Jet, right? A guy who walked on for football but was a track uh, recruit. And, you know, from the moment he got there, they realized, oh, you know, whoops. We, we, we shot right off of this guy for football. Uh, you know, blazing. Once again, speed is not an issue. I, I, I wish he, you know, had a pro day, a combine, whatever. But he's, you know, I don't care. You can put him on anybody's field against anybody. He's fast. I mean, he's got legitimate track speed. He's a track athlete. And so Pete Guerrero is a guy that I, I, I don't know. I understand he probably wasn't get drafted, but for him not to get picked up is a mind boggler to me. It's productive. Uh, not super big, but strong for his size. And like I said, fast, 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 fast. I mean, everybody talks about turning to a speed league. I don't know if there's a running back in this class faster than him. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't, I'm not yeah, sure there is. I'll I tell you what. <laughs> I, I, it, it, you know, the uh, the kid from Shepard, the running back, is, is another one of those guys. Okay. Yes, thank you. I couldn't remember his last name. I had to remember it was the first name, but um, he's one of those guys that you looked at and go, "Why is nobody looking at him?" Explosiveness, lightning in the bottle, runner. These guys don't—they're not very prevalent. Special team you know, stud. I mean, even if yeah. you don't like him as just right. a running back, he's like right. the making yeah. squad as a special team guy. He's the yeah. top gunner in the you know, in their conference and was voted special teams player of the year and everything. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense to me. Yeah, yep. and, um, and and since you're a Norfolk State alumni, why no love for Bobby Price? I I was about to throw out. Look at you beating me to the punch. My next two guys, my next two guys are going to be once again. Everyone talks about versatility. He's big enough that he can stay on the field and be that sort of extra linebacker, that extra linebacker, but that nickel dime linebacker guy. He can play traditional. He can play both of the safety spots. He can play strong and free. And yes, he's he's a big kid. Um, he yeah. can he can play. You know, he can hold up. I mean, you won't you won't want him fighting guards for a living, but he can hold up in the box. Uh, he can he can do a little bit of everything. And he's a you know, he's just. I think the arrow's pointing up on him. I mean, whoever if eventually he gets the shot, and hopefully he does. I think people will be very pleased. And as someone just said, even if he doesn't end up doing much for you on defense, at least not initially, another guy with great special teams ability. He blocks. Yeah. So he has. I think he has. Blo- I think he. Has, I think he led the 
the MEAC in, was it, was it blocked kicks, I think. Um, so he's a good enough athlete that he can get up with, you know, he's, he's elite. He can get up and, you know, swat stuff down. He's a great basketball player in high school. And you look at him and, you know, it's easy to see that he's a guy who can get up off his, off his feet and slap stuff around. Um, Eric Hinneman from Lindenwood uh, is a, yeah. you know, I guess, undersized-ish tight end, but the the nature of the tight end position has changed in such a way that I think that's less of a problem than it used to be. Uh, he's probably legitimately 6'2 and change, and I'm going to guess right around 229, 231. So, I mean, he's probably right on the upper two, 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 uh, 220s, the low 230s. But the way tight ends are used nowadays, and he gives good effort as a blocker. He's never going to be, you know, a road grader as a blocker, but he gives decent enough effort. I mean, that, this is all you seem to care about nowadays. I mean, we all watched when they made those tight ends hit blocking splits, right? I mean, like three of them looked like they knew what they were doing, literally, like three of them did. And the rest of them looked like wide receivers being asked to hit a blocking split. Uh, this yeah. is very big wide receivers being asked to hit, hit blocking sleds. I mean, it's clear the position has changed, right? There were, or, um, or, you know, Orson Mobley isn't walking through that door anymore. Biddy Cunningham isn't, isn't walking through that door anymore, right? Mm-hmm. right? I mean, Jason, when Jason Witten and Greg, um, um, oh, come on, Bill. Um, help me. Uh, Miami, um, uh, just, just uh, got cleaned out of Carolina with Cam. Um, Oh, Olsen. 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 Yeah, right. So when Jason Witten and Greg Olson and I guess Gronk re-retires, um, we will officially have said, sort of said, but no, I'm sorry. I mean, I guess George Kittle and, and Jason, Kel- uh, Jason Kelsey give good effort too. But, but the, the old days, right, uh, when half the tackles, I mean, half, sorry, half the offensive, uh, half the tight ends in the league are basically just an extra tackle. Those days are gone, right? Uh, if a guy can block, it's like a nice little ooh. It's like a little, little bonus. Like it's like discovering that um, you know, oh hey, this this you know minivan has a nitrous bottle. Who knew, right? It's sort of like this thing that you weren't expecting. Oh, he can block. The but Eric Hedman's a good enough blocker for today's tight ends, right? For the way they use tight ends nowadays, which is basically as possession receivers. Um, and he's really good at that, you know, runs good routes, uh, has a really good sense of, you know, where to settle in and to find the ball, catches the ball well above his head, outside his frame, you know, below his knees, all that stuff. Um, a good enough athlete. I mean, I, once again, don't have any athletic testing numbers, so just going off tape, I'm going to guess he's probably a high 4.6 with a low 4.7 guy, probably. Um, you know, but yeah, I mean, it's it's just a, such a weird, so weird. This year's been so weird. Uh, Jelani Taylor, right? Um, we talked about Ivy League guys. Uh, yeah. Cornell Corner, who jumped yeah. off the tape. I wasn't I wasn't looking for for Jelani Taylor people. I it was not my intention to watch Jelani Taylor. I was trying to watch a guy he was covering, and I kept noticing that the guy he was covering, who I thought I was going to like, wasn't getting anything done. It's like, huh? Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, wow. Hey, just and so I just, Bill, Bill, uh, your um, 
the offensive lineman, the tackle from App State that we were talking about during uh, uh, one of our drafts. Oh. You know, who shut yep. down – he shut down two guys that got drafted in the first three rounds uh, completely yep. in Alex Highsmith and Yuder uh, Grossmatos, and he's still unsigned. You, you know, yes. uh, you're talking about a guy, FBS, all-conference for uh, three out of the four years he started, and uh, a championship team, like every everything you checkbox – I, you know, yep, yep. So I'm sorry, sorry, Bill. Please don't let me interrupt you anymore. Go ahead. No, 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 no. no. I'm glad you. I'm glad. You, once again, we're trying to sort of think of guys. So we're talking about the head scratch. That example, that guys, guys, guys that are, yeah, the guys that jump out of tape and have all the success in the world, and even at higher levels, you know, I, I don't know. If you can't see that, <laughs> maybe the guy has a problem I don't know about or something. Doesn't want to play. <laughs> Uh, listen, I, right? But I mean, when you say guy is a problem, I mean, they they have they have whatever reason it is. It was like that a couple of years ago with Cameron Roan. I was there, I, I you know, for several of his games that season with him at Columbia, and I was like, wow, this kid actually is a decent corner. You know, he's not going to be an elite outside corner, but he'll be a nice nickel corner for a team. I had like a fourth round grade on him, and I get to his pro day, and he's killing it in the gym. He jumps off. He jumps off the table with the vertical. He kills it on the bench. He does all that with the broad. He goes in there, runs the first forty. I clocked him at four four one, and he pulls his hamstring. And the Packer scout standing next to me goes, when, he, when they said, "Oh, he can't run the second one because he pulled his hamstring," he goes, "Up, oh, see you next year." So they didn't. They didn't really. Yeah, they didn't come there to go. Okay, if he jumps off the table, we're really going to look at. No, he jumped off the table, and they still went. Yeah, okay, well, oh well, we weren't really going to look yeah, at you the, that hard. The difference between every chance to fail and one chance to fail. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, it was a shame. You, you see the kid play all year. You say, okay, he's legitimately a, a legit prospect. He comes there, he times well, he gets injured in his pro day, and you go, all right, well, that's it for you. Wow. I said, okay, so this is how we play this game. It, so it, with Jelani Taylor, they just had to find their one reason not to want the kid. And it's a sad, it's a sad state of affairs. It really is. It, 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 that reminds uh, me of, uh, you know, my, my days as a, uh, you know, recording artist, record producer in the music business. And I used to tell people, you know, most people that, that listen to your demo or your, your, your CD and try to decide whether they're going to offer you some kind of a deal, um, the vast majority of them have no idea what they're talking about. It would have no, they wouldn't know the difference between shit and Shinola. Mm-hmm. So they're looking for anything they can pick out. The first available flaw that they can find to hit back to you and give that as the reason, because they wouldn't really be able to tell you if they just heard everything and it sounded good, they wouldn't be able to say, well, you did a great job and it's very polished, but I don't like it. And here, you know, it's like, it's not good enough. They don't want to say that. So I, I think it that, falls in every field that there's plenty of people out there who have uh, elevated to positions of decision making who don't really have the tools to decide yeah so and and once again i thank you guys for all your time we're going to get to our our wrap-up questions or wrap-up answers or wrap-up maybe unanswered questions (laughs) as the case may end up being uh the, the the fact is that for a long time, there are certain teams that were known to be more "quote unquote" small school friendly. The Packers, for a long time, I think in like part because of Mike Murphy, a Colgate guy, 
Uh, we're known to be a little more sco small school friendly than some. Um, than some. Uh, the Steelers at one point were pretty small school friendly. I don't know if they still are. Um, Bill Nunn. Right. Well, that was right. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Thank. As you know, uh, one of my one of my heroes. Uh, and yes, I agree that, that was, he he played a big part in that. The Kansas City Chiefs for a long time were were known to be. A, you know, when you talk to guys at small schools. Uh, they would say, yeah, the Chiefs, you know, they hit our campus pretty hard, um, even at, at, you know, Division II schools and NAIA schools, as long as they weren't, you know, too far away from someplace else they had to go, you know, because you try to be efficient. But, you know, still, if it's an, if you're going, if you're watching an NAIA practice, you're doing your job, right? I mean, there's a, there's a fairly low, you know, hit rate at the NAIA. I get it. But but the fact that I knew that when I talked to people, they'd say, yeah, the you know, the Chiefs have been here. It's like, okay, cool. That lets me know that they're... Now, I don't know if that's still true. This is years back. But I knew that they had that reputation of being, you know, at least open to the idea. Um, you know, and fairly or unfairly, your um, uh, your your uh, Dallas Cowboys, Jeff, have gotten a reputation for being skeptics, I guess is the word I'm looking for, uh, when it comes to small school guys. Not that they won't, but... Yeah, it's 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 the Will McClay effect, because if you think about before Will came in, they weren't that way. Oh, Brett was awesome about that. Yeah, well, just think, not, even before, just, just think a few years ago, didn't they draft a quasi Owosu Ansa out of IUP in the mid rounds? Yep. Not, not even late yeah. in the mid rounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so they they were drafting guys from all over. They didn't care. But it, it it Will now has come in with the power five, top to bottom. If they were if they were able to play in those conferences, those are the guys we want. And it's like I get that, but you got to step out of that sometime. Not everybody in a power five is going to be able to help you at the pro level. You have to understand that. And, but that's how they are now. They don't want to hear it. They're not going. And, and he's, and I've listened to him do interview after interview. And when they talk about certain guys, you hear it in the voice and he starts off with that. Uh, you know, what's coming, <laughs> you, you know, what's coming. And it's like, Oh man. And, and I give him credit. He's hit on a lot of guys in the draft. I give him credit for it, but he's also And I'm still trying to fathom, you know, like I said, we talk about that consistency just three years prior, they had, a, they, they were hoping that Anthony Barr fell to them or Aaron Donald. And Anthony Barr said, they said they wanted to play at right defensive end. And if you saw him at UCLA, most people had him as a tweener, outside backer, maybe, a, 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 but they wanted him at right defensive end. But three years later, they have a chance to draft TJ Watt. And they go, well, you know, he didn't really play with his hand down, so they pass on him and take Taco Charlton. Yes. Ouch. And it was a, so, uh, so how do you do a total 180 in three years with a better player in, in yeah. Watt. Watt is even better than Barr was. Barr was good. Don't get me wrong, he's still good. But Watt? Watt was more developed in terms of knowing, having a plan, right? Knowing what to yeah. do, mm -hmm. having calories and all that good stuff. And Barr was just a, an athlete. And he was a running back, as you know, for yeah. what, two and a half uh, years? It was like halfway through 
his uh, sophomore year, I guess, or yeah, maybe yeah. after his sophomore year. I think it was actually after his sophomore year. I think it was, I guess, the, the spring prior to his junior year. They said, hey, why don't you take some reps on defense? I think mm-hmm. he actually put a bit of both for for that for much of that year and was not a full-time defender until his senior year. Yeah. You know, it's 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 those kind of inconsistencies that, that pop up every now and then. But he really has those moments with the big school guys. But it's the small. He just doesn't. It's not in his makeup to trust the small yeah. school guys, and it, it is a shame. It's a shame. Well, it's clear, like I said, that that each team has its own, you know, sort of philosophy regarding this, and some of it comes down to. The decision makers, we said, like, well, what was their experience? I mean, it helps if a guy himself, you know, came from like Colgate or came from, you know, play. He played at Central Arkansas. He played at whatever. So he has an understanding of, you know, there's guys who can play at every level. And then some guys. And of course, I mean, you don't have to have played to be a good evaluator. There's plenty of really good evaluators who were not players or, you know, didn't play long or didn't play well or didn't, you know, whatever. Uh, but you do have to have a good understanding of how football players succeed or fail, you know, once they get to the NFL level. And as Alex mentioned, and he had to run, but I thank him for his time, he said he starts with makeup. And, of course, he has to. I mean, Rice is a challenging institution academically. Uh, it is a program that is being that's building, which means that you're often going to be in games where the other team has more talent. And... You know, if you aren't made up a certain way, you're just not going to make it. It's just, it's a, it, there's a lot of challenges that are going to face you. And obviously, the NFL is a crucible. I mean, that first practice, you're going to be like, holy crap, why is everybody so good? Why is everyone so fast, so strong? Um, if you don't have a certain makeup, you're, you're going you're, you're gonna to crack, you know? I mean, it's a shock to everybody. I don't care where you play. Um, it's, it's different. So um, I guess my, my sort of final thoughts on this is I wish – and this is where I think having someone who is committed to is taking a long, strong look at metrics and, and is willing to at least look for players or help to identify players based at least partially on, hey, this guy produced at this level, tested like this. The, of all the guys who produced at this level and tested like this, no matter where they played, X number of them have turned out to be long-term pros. Maybe we should take a second look at this kid, even if he played at – you know, Western Oregon, right? I mean, there's, there's has to be a, a commitment to finding guys because you don't see everyone. Like one of the most pervasive, persistent myths is that the NFL somehow sees every player. No, I come by here to tell you they do not. I've had conversations with NFL. Well, I'm talking about a kid and they say, who's that? So I promise you, they don't see everybody. And which isn't, which isn't, you know, it's not possible anyway. Like, it wouldn't be realistic to see everybody. As you know, there's Division Three, there's NAA, there's Division Two, there's FCS and FBS. There's no way you can see every player. Like, that's not even possible. However, there are indicators, things that point you to players, right? Hey, this guy, even though he's playing at a low level, he sacked 26 and a half people. Hmm, maybe we should take a look. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care where you're playing. If you played a 10-game schedule in Division II and had 26 and a half sacks, something's happening. You know, like, yeah. like, like something's going on there. Like, that's something's got to be happening. 
if you're if you're averaging over two and a half sacks a game, right? I mean, they can't all be stumble bubs, right? They can't. He's not playing against people in wheelchairs, right? I mean, something's it. So, I think that that if you're willing to be open to to being pointed to players by by metrics, by testing numbers, by by production, things like that, and then yes, you want to see if the whatever you learn about them when you see them on tape or when you see them in person and talk to them, things like that. You want to see if it all continues to point in the, the direction that you like. But if you think you're going to somehow literally see every player who's good enough to play, it's just not, it's not realistic. Like it's a pipe dream. So no, you, they won't always find you. <laughs> like that's just not true. Um, so I'll ask you for sort of your closing thoughts. Um, Jeff, so tell me what, after all of this, um, where do you come down on what the NFL can do to stop blowing it, basically, when it comes to small school guys? And, you know, if there's a solution, what do you think that solution might be? Uh, the solution to me is you have to get out of this old mindset that as long as it's big school guys, then you don't have any questions about them. You don't have as many questions about the player. Anybody that's small school comes in with an immediately fail grade until they prove you otherwise. They have to go back to evaluate talent as it is. You know, you're either good enough or you're not. Not where you come from. Not, uh, you know, what this coach says about you is right, you know, because we trust this coach. No, get back to doing the basics. Go back to the film. Get back on the road. Hit more than just because I tell you right now, I can tell you how many small schools I games I go to where there were NFL scout cards around me, and maybe one sits there for three quarters of the game. The other one sit there for for half an hour and then they leave. So, um, you you can't go back to taking the lazy way out of this and, and just relying on the names that the fans know. Because of the schools, let's let's get back to evaluating talent, giving kids a fair share, doing it the old way, where you actually went around and actually evaluated and gave them a fair share. Uh, this this new school mentality of that only the power five guys is killing these kids, and it's not fair. And, and as much as you want to put it out there to the fans that this is a fair and inclusive process, it's not fair right now. Got it. Um, any, any final shots you want to throw out there, uh, Will? Well, I think you want to know how does the NFL solve this or try to make it better. I think the key is outsourcing. They, they, you said it, uh, they don't have enough time to really go and see every player in the world. So why not outsource it to someone who is actually really interested in, in doing it and going through the legwork and spending the time? And even if you, you know, you're still going to have to cross-check the information you get from them I just feel like you 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 make your team you make your knowledge of who's out there better, whether it's for the draft or for signing period after the draft, or even for tri- guys for tryouts or who's available mid-season for a tryout, et cetera. So I, I think that's the place that, you know, like you said, they don't like to spend money unless it makes money. But if it makes you better, I feel like teams, you know, there's a reason they they pay money to Blesto to do stuff for them, and they could just as easily do that with. Uh, with someone who is focusing on the stuff that usually falls through the cracks, you know, call it a due diligence project or due diligence consulting or whatever you want to call it for them. Um, but I think, I mean, 
there'd have to be a value add for, to have pick Bill Carroll's brain and have him tell you, you know, this, this handful of prospects that you should be looking at that you don't even know who they are. Yeah, I I agree with 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 all those points, and I would I would bring someone onto my staff, even if they weren't a full timer, a consultant. How do you put it? Somebody who would maybe coached, played, coached and played, you know, at at a lower level, um, had relationships, and you know, said, hey, you know, spend this summer or whenever it is, and embed yourself in the Southland Conference for a while, and then embed yourself in the, and, you know, try to hit them, you know, you can't hit them all, but hit hit the ones where we've, we've seen a good amount of success come from. Man, the Southland Conference, next year, there's a bunch of guys who I think are going to be able to play at the next level, at almost every position you can pick up, defensive tackles, defensive ends, corners, uh, a couple of decent uh, receiver, running back prospects. Uh, I don't know if any of the quarterbacks will get a look. Uh, whether they're good enough or not, they don't seem to like those guys for whatever reason. They end up end up in the CFL. But uh, but there's a players at several positions in the Southland that are going to make their mark. Going to make their mark. Uh, I mean, I would just try to bring in, as you said, you know, go outside of the way we've done it since. We've always done it this way because it's how we do it, and that's why we do it because we do it this way because that's how we've done it. I mean, that's you but know, circular disruption, logic. Disruption and innovation is how you make, how you change a franchise from being a perpetual loser to becoming better. You know, that that's yes. what the Steelers' plan was, and I think that model fits still. Agreed. Agreed. Well, um, oh, okay, so. Alex had to run, but I'm going to urge you guys to check out his podcast, which is really, really good, uh, called Taking It Personnel. And he's um, the next episode is dropping soon. And he had Yogi Roth, who most of us know, Yogi Roth from uh, Elite 11. Uh, he was himself a walk-on at Cal, pretty decent little slot receiver. And now he's found his way into the media slash evaluation, recruitment, whatever you want to call it, process. Uh, regarding quarterbacks specifically, and such a smart guy, wise, smart guy, and Alex is a great interviewer. So check out Alex's podcast, Taking It Personnel, from wherever it is you find your podcasts. Um, I know it's on, uh, I think it's on Apple and um, what's the other thing? Um, the other place. Google oh, Play. Uh, Spotify. Right, Google Play, Spotify. Spotify. Thank you. And Spotify, yes. So you can, I know you can find it those places, maybe others as well. Um, oh, Will, I owe you an article. Um, I sh that should be done soon. Uh, I got bogged down. Feel free to write about uh, anything you want, Bill. We'll take it. So, but I got <laughs> no, actually, I am going to actually break down the the draft class for the Steelers using sort of an economic approach in terms of sort of like looking at and people always talk, talk about stock, you know, and so looking at the players sort of as stocks, and so I'll use some quantifiables as well as things I've seen. So that should be to you soon. Sorry. I got, but it, worked on. it should be done soon. Um, but yes, uh, we'll tell people what you're up to and where they can find and follow stuff you're doing. Sure. I uh, do a lot of Steelers, Pittsburgh Steelers uh, content. Uh, website is SteelerFury.com. You'll see articles there on the Steelers in the draft. 
uh, and also uh, general NFL draft and articles uh, as well. There's also you know, a message board for if you want to join with a bunch of crazy Steeler fans and argue about things. As if you're guys at the bar, that is the spot for you. Um, also, Steeler Fury's uh, Pittsburgh Steelers show is available as a podcast. Um, it is, in fact, there's a lot of draft content. If you want to review about uh, eight hours of pre-draft content, uh, it's available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Spreaker, and uh, this year, new iHeart. It's on iHeart as well. Ah, so, um, congratulations. There you go. It is the uh, longest-running Steelers podcast in the world. We started 2008 when, wow. when uh, people didn't even know what podcasting was. So. Wow. All right. If I can keep it going, we'll continue to be the longest run. If I remain alive. Uh, but yeah, Excellent. always a lot of draft content, especially in the off season. Um, but got some interesting and different points of view and content there. So join us, SteelerFury.com, Steeler Fury, Pittsburgh Steelers podcast. Got it. Well, I will. I I have listened to some. I will listen to some more, and obviously, I'll be happy to at some point join you um, to create some content. Uh, as I mentioned, we, I'm trying to, I like you people, so I'm trying to uh, find ways for us to continue to work together. And then um, Jeff, uh, tell people what you're up to and where they can find your work and what's going on with you. Um, I'm still um, right now pounding things out. Um, you'll see a lot more content coming from us uh, right now. I'm just trying to button everything up behind the scenes with cover2draft.com. Um, I spread myself very thin, so uh, it, it was a little slow on the uh, content this off season. So I have to apologize for that. But um, I'm still. You can still find a lot of my work there. Also, nuts and bolts sports. I've been doing a lot of stuff uh, for them uh, more than I should have been more, more than I've been doing for uh, cover through draft. Believe it or not. Um, so yes, nuts and bolts sports as well. Also, you can find me on the uh, Victory Formation podcast with Matt Anzio um, yeah. and every other podcast yeah, I've been on. It. Yes, and and Dave Cromwell was had me on his. I was on there for. Uh, rounds two and three so it, i've been making the rounds this year it's been very busy and, and i'm still getting people coming to me with more stuff so i'm trying to find a way to clone myself to fill all this time that i, that I can get out there and i also have to start i'm going to start putting out videos not only for my high school kids but for coaches just talking about things offensively so you um that'll be on my vimeo channel under coach barnes which hasn't started yet so once i get that first up that I'll be putting that out on all the platforms as well, where I'll be talking about offensive formational stuff as far as things like two tight end sets and how to utilize it in multiple formations and passing and run game and things of that nature. So there's going to be some uh, technical stuff for coaches coming out for me as well. Excellent. Excellent. Well, um, I, I will be working on one, right? Writing an article for, for Will. Uh, also, <laughs> I, I, I can make available to anyone who cares. Um, my watch list to this point, it's 50 guys, uh, small school watch list. 50 guys so far, it'll be more as time goes on. And it'll be, you know, several hundred, I guess, by the time it's all said and done. And then I'll have to rank them all because, you know, why not? Uh, but no one pays me to do this. I don't know why I do this to myself. But I make myself watch about four to 500 prospects every year and then I rank them. For no reason. Um, <laughs> huh. 
Whatever. I guess you're, that's man, you're a man amongst men, Bill. That's why. Yeah, there's worse things I guess I could do with my time. I don't gamble. I don't drink. I guess this this is my big vice. Um, but yes, uh, I I definitely look forward to when this will be so different, right? Because we don't know when there'll be football yet. But uh, and of course, especially at the small school level, because there's not going to be all these workarounds that are available maybe to some of the bigger schools where they say, oh, yeah, we're going to play in, you know, this other stadium several states away on this different day than we planned. And we'll just, you know, make it all happen because, you know, we have this huge television contract. We have to make sure that, (laughs) you know, hey, somebody's got to sell you guys beef jerky and trucks. Um, And in order to sell you beef jerky and trucks, you got to watch football. So, you know, I'm probably going to write some articles about what happens if, right? So <laughs> what happens if there's no season or what happens if the season starts when the season normally would be ending and, you know, all this stuff. So since everyone's sort of forward-looking, semi-educated guessing articles, I don't know if anyone wants that or not, but uh, I'll work on some of those too when I get Will, the one I owe him, and then then – since I don't know when there'll be football again, I, I probably will do like some sort of preseason, you know, uh, all underappreciated and all emerging teams like I usually do, even though I don't know when I'm going to play again. Uh, but yes, yes, as always, it's an honor, a privilege, a pleasure. I want to thank Alex Brown, who's the director of football recruiting at Rice. And once again, a rising star. If, if you're not following Alex already or if you're not into his podcast, if you really do like football, particularly college football, this guy's going places. I don't, I don't know how else to put it. Like he's... I hope that Bryce has a great opportunity. I mean, they do have a great opportunity. I hope they get everything out of him they can, but I'll be shocked if 30 years from now he's still working at Rice. I'll put it that way. I think I think he's going to make his way through the world of football, uh, obviously throughout college, and I, I will not be shocked at all if at some point he's working for an NFL franchise. Very smart, very, very innovative, very hardworking. And I'm just a kid again. He's not a kid. I've known him since he was literally a kid. I've known him since he's a high school senior one of those feel old moments. It's like watching Nick Harper Jr. At, um, at Tennessee State. Like, Nick Harper Jr., didn't Nick Harper just stop playing? You know, <laughs> what? what are they doing to me? Um, but yes, uh, on that sort of somewhat somber note, as I realize the cold grist grip of the Weep Reaper is coming, as Will talks about if he can stay alive long enough to keep doing his thing, um, I, I will. <laughs> I will once again thank you for your for your time and let you guys. Uh, if your families, you know, do want to to see you again and hear you again, I'll give you back to your families. If not, then I'll give you back to yourselves. But uh, I definitely want us to keep working together on various projects. I have something, a sort of secret-ish project. I'm not quite ready to divulge yet, but I'm working in the early stages of it. At some point, I'm going to suck you you suckers into it because you seem like you'd be into it. Uh, so that's, <laughs> that's the future thing. Uh, but once again, I want to thank you, uh, Will Massack. I want to thank you, Jeff Barnes, and obviously earlier Alex Brown had to run uh, because he lives more like a – I won't say like a normal person because he doesn't live like a normal person. He lives like a football person. But he's taking advantage of this time because normally he'd be busting it, uh, but now we can't. Well, he's still busted, but not the same way because you can't do the normal stuff he would do. Um, so an article I'm also going to be writing is about that, about what recruitment looks like 
in the age of COVID-19. He's one of the people I'll be interviewing for that article as well. Thank you, Alex, ahead of time. Um, and I'm, I'm also looking at some other people at other levels of college football to talk about what, what, you know, junior college, uh, big school, you know, uh, medium sky school, power six, whatever you want to call it. And, and then also some, I'm trying, the big one will be getting somebody from a, from a big school, you know, power five, but I'm working on it. I'll get one of them um, to talk to me about what the process looks like and how they're doing and all that stuff. Uh, like I said, in the, in the age of COVID-19. Okay. That's it. You guys can have your lives back, your wives back, your whatever's back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Hopefully she's still there. Hopefully. Right. Thanks, yes. Phil. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's funny because it's true. But yes, um, I uh, I once again do want to thank you guys for your time, your talent, and your attention. Have a wonderful rest of your evening. Um, Will, I'm going to get back to, to, to cranking out this article. It should be done very, very soon. Um, hopefully, by the time this weekend's over, I'll be sending something for you to publish. The, the check's in the mail, Bill. Thank you, sir. Once again, <laughs> thank you all for your <laughs> yeah, thanks, Jeff. Talk to you later, guys. Yeah, take care. You have a good night. Good night. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.